Before we begin our show, I want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, MyFootballNow.com. If you feel like your team is managed by idiots and you think that you can do better, head over to MyFootballNow.com. It's the number one online-rated professional football management simulator. You become the owner and the general manager of a pro football team of your choosing. You can hire coaches, you can draft players, you can sign free agents, and you can also manage the salary cap and additionally put together your own game plan. You'll play against other players from around the world, and best of all, it's totally free to play. Build your dynasty now at MyFootballNow.com. Dynasty Podcast, and tonight I will be flying solo, well actually not totally solo, but my partner in crime and co-pilot will be gone this week, Richard Janverin, so for all you uh, listeners out there, um, he should be back next week. Um, tonight though, I have a special guest on online right now with me, it's uh, a guy that I uh, really, really respect in the industry, he's built one of the best dynasty websites out there, uh, Dynasty Football Warehouse. I'm sure everyone has heard of that website, especially if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, hopefully you, you have. It's Dan Burgundy Hines. Hey, Dan, uh, it's been a while. We've been trying to plan and schedule this for quite some time, and finally we've reached the, the epiphany, and you're here, man. So how's it going tonight, bud? I'm doing good, man. Everything happens for a reason, and this was when it was meant to happen. So uh, we're going to talk some sleepers tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Richard is missing out. Yeah, he is totally missing out. So, yeah, tonight on the docket we have, uh, just like Dan said, we got a show on uh, Dynasty Sleepers, and this should be a good show. And um, maybe we can start off by – I know there was some stuff that we wanted we wanted to go over before we get the show started tonight, and that's in regards to your charity. I know you do a lot of charity work, and I really respect that. And uh, maybe you can just dive in and, and tell us tell us what it's all about, man. Well, I appreciate you giving me a little forum here to discuss this. It's um, something I actually have really, really big hopes for. It's only in its second year, but. Uh, we came onto the scene pretty big with it last year, and to me, it's just an absolute no-brainer concept. And so the more people that I can reach with it, the better. And basically, it's called the Fantasy Football Charity Championship, uh, the FFCC. It's something that Dynasty Football Warehouse sponsors, but we're actually willing to take on co-sponsorships. This isn't something that is exclusive to Dynasty Football Warehouse. This is something that I really am looking forward to building industry-wide. And it's really just an opportunity to play fantasy football with a very, very minimal effort and very, very minimal cost where all the proceeds are going to benefit various charities. And there's some really cool twists and turns to it. And ultimately, we're just trying to grow this thing into the biggest, most beneficial tournament we possibly can. So the concept is really, really simple. Um, for those of you listening, it's a draft master tournament. For those not familiar with that that format, basically it's a draft. That's it. Um, it's a 20-round draft. We don't do defenses. We don't do kickers. Uh, it's all just offensive skill positions, so it's pretty simple. 
got some nice wrinkles, like a, uh, two, two or three flex. I think we play. Um, and, uh, you know, basically, yeah, you draft your team and you walk away. That's it. Um, you know, you can check in week to week. You can trash talk your friends like normal. You can get your neighbors involved. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be as involved if, um, or as uninvolved as you want. Really, it's about two days worth of drafting and then you're done. The buy-in is 25 bucks and, you know, we try to keep it low just so that everybody's got 25 bucks laying around. I mean, pretty much everybody has 25 bucks laying around. I mean, we got people spending thousands of dollars to go into these tournaments left and right, you know, and I get it. You know, it's, it's exciting. High stakes leagues are fun, but here's an opportunity where the masses can just come together, draft. I think I drafted for 10 teams last year. Some of them didn't even want to draft. I was just like, all right, I'll draft for you. Here's your 25 bucks. I ended up just drafting. I, you know, for, I think one of the division champions was actually my team. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> so, you know, but, but so the, here are some of the really neat wrinkles of it. First of all, if you're interested in this at all, um, get in touch with me at Dynasty Football Warehouse. You can do our info at dynastyfootballwarehouse.com or you can d- hit me up directly at my Gmail account. I have no problem with people hitting me up on my personal email. It's DJ Hines. That's H E I N S at gmail.com. Either way, it'll come to that email. You can hit me up on Twitter. Um, you can hit me up on Facebook. Hit me up anywhere. Um, you can hit up these guys at Fake Pigskin, and they can get you in touch with me if they want. If you know, if you want. Um, but last year we really had an impromptu um, idea about this, and we ended up getting seventy-two teams together. We raised almost two thousand dollars for various charities. Arc Foundation benefiting cerebral palsy we raised fifteen hundred dollars for and sid's foundation we raised three hundred dollars and so what the concept is is every division plays for a a charity and what's really neat about it this year is as we're building this up as we're ramping it up we're able to add prizes we're able to get gifts um you know donated and and trying to you know get more benefits to doing this if 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 giving to charity isn't beneficial enough but uh, we have this sick, sick trophy that uh, ParadiseAwards.com is, um, hooked us up with. It's like a 200 plus dollar trophy, custom made. We sent it out to Sean um, O'Donnell, um, O'Doggy was his name. He ended up being our total champion last year. We got some promotional material. We'll be tweeting out. He made this really cool sign about giving back and how we all say we want to give back, and you know, but how much do we really give back and I mean, here it is. Here's your chance. I mean, this is the audience that should be on this, like, stink on you know what. You know, I mean, we're talking <laughs> 25 bucks, 25 bucks to league sake. That's it. And you get to go in and play fantasy football. You get to draft a team. Who doesn't like it? It's the only reason any of us play redraft. You know, after the draft, it sucks. Otherwise, you're going to be listening to a Dynasty podcast right now because Dynasty is way better, right? But we draft our team, and that's it, you know, and it's awesome. It's awesome. And so you get to play, like, Sigmund Bloom from Football Guys just hit me up. He's taking a team. Jim Day, you know, Fantasy Taz. I mean, we got some big names in this stuff, not to mention the, you know, my bromos over at Dynasty Football Warehouse, you know. So, you know, we're going to – we're trying to ramp this up. I mean, we're hoping we'll have thousands of teams in the future as we keep going down the line. 
But what's really neat is let's say you're just sitting out there, you know, like Richard is right now, wishing he was on a podcast and he's thinking, <laughs> I got nothing better to do right now. And, you know, do I know 11 other people? So here's some benefits. You can just sign up individually. We'll put you in a league. It's 25 bucks. If you want to just keep it simple, that's fine. Or you can step it up a notch. Maybe you know somebody you'd like to raise money for. This is where the tournament gets really cool. All right. We're not telling you what you have to raise money for. You tell us what you want to raise money for. Um, you know, if it's a personal cause, we do have to do a couple checks and balances. I want to make sure they're legitimate things. OK, but let's say your your uncle has leukemia and you want to raise money for cancer research. All you got to do is find 11 family members that got 25 bucks. And come talk to me. I'm going to organize the entire thing. I'm going to set it all up for you. I'm giving every penny back to charity. I'm not asking for anything except for people to get involved here. Okay. And we're even going to go a step farther. All right. I feel like this is an infomercial now. Buy two, get one. You know, <laughs> you know, but if you act now, you'll get a DFW gold insider membership with our, you know, 72 page rookie guide for free. If you bring 12 teams to the, to the table. That's a $30 value right now. We're just giving it away to whoever organizes that division. On top of that, you get to tell me who you're raising your $300 for, okay? It can be ARC Foundation. It can be breast cancer. It can be, you know, Uncle Larry, okay? I mean, it's it's totally up to you guys, and that's the beautiful part of this thing. Um, basically, we have one grand champion, and every division champion gets the donation in their name. That's where we're at right now. We're in the process of collecting some other cool things, some subscriptions. MFL, My Fantasy League, is giving away MFL 10s for us. So it's a free entry into another league where, you know, it's basically just another draft master where you can win up to 100 bucks if you win the whole thing. You know, just another fun little tidbit there. But so it's... The FFCC, Fantasy Football Charity Championships, you know, basically I challenged every team last year, 72 teams, to go out and find 11 people. Go find 11 people. Let's see if we can't take this thing up exponentially really, really fast because we all know it. If you're sitting around, I had one guy, his daughter had cerebral palsy. I met him at a soccer game. Awesome guy. And, I, I mean, he was really skeptical, like, who's this guy asking for money, right? And I'm like, well, check this out. He ended up bringing 24 teams to the or to the league last year and raised $600 to a cause that's really, really important to him, really important. I actually asked him, I'm like, is this your daughter? He's like, yeah. I said, does she have cerebral palsy? He's like, yes. And we started talking about it. And I said, well, what if I gave you an opportunity? He's like, well, we, we had this neighborhood league, and it kind of faded out, and some guys still like to do it, but we don't. And I said, well, why don't you come do this? This is easy, man. I'm like, you get to draft your team. You can talk shit about it if you want. But I don't want to go on and on and on, but it's a really cool concept, and there's seriously no losers here. All you got to do is get me an email address, and that's it. Email me your email address and say I want in. The next thing you know, you'll be in a division and you'll have a league safe payment notification that says, hey, send me 25 bucks. That's it. All right. The winners get notifications of their donations. They can all verify that every penny was paid out last year. And uh, we run everything through league safe and then through our DFW account. That's it. So um, it's if you have any questions, hit me up. Otherwise, you know, one team is great. 12 teams is better. 
Our champion's bringing 12 teams to the plate, so he's already stepped up his game. Sean's bringing 12 teams. That's $300 more going into a really awesome cause. So it's a really cool concept, and the bigger this thing gets, the cooler it's going to be, and we can't do it without you, so jump in. Oh, one other note. Let's say Fake Pigskin wants to get in on this thing, get their name on it, all right? Basically, my criteria is you bring 36 teams and you're a co-sponsor. You're right there with DFW. You're right there with Cheap Seats, which is another co-sponsor. It's a web it's a podcast with Jason Teasley, who was the original idea man behind this thing and brought it to me, and I just kind of blew it up for him. Um, and, uh, you know, so if Fake Pigskin wants to get on their forums and say, hey, let's get 36 teams together for this championship tournament, all right, they're going on – all of our promotional material. There is, it's as much their tournament as it is DFW's. This is not site biased. This is, this is much, much bigger than that. So, uh, we want everybody to be able to benefit in this situation. And we really think we have a setup where it could, you know, it could really be a cool way for the fantasy football community to give back a substantial amount of money down the road to some pretty needy. You know, our our slogan is really cool, and I saved it for the last part, but I want it to sink in. And that's our fantasy can help their reality. OK, and that's what this tournament's all about. It's about helping people's reality through this funny little game that us jock nerds you know, play uh, on a daily basis and, and are obsessed about. And it, and I just can't, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but that's, uh, I'm hoping that we'll uh, have a whole bunch of signups. So definitely, man. And I love the idea. I love, I love everything you're putting together over there and um, definitely sign me up for a team. I'll definitely be talking to the fake pigskin guys, see if I can get any of those guys on board. Um I guess yeah. there was one question I had real quick for you, and then we'll get yeah. started. Um, you know, with 72 teams you had last year, I mean, how, how does the draft work with that many teams? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming. Sure. Um, Individual divisional drafts. So 12-team drafts. Um, so just your standard league drafts. It, it's not complicated. Um, it's a total points league. Mm-hmm. So um, what's neat is that even if you win your division, you're not guaranteed the points championship. You can have a second place team once the play, we have a playoff section. So we have our divisional cutoff kind of like where you would cut off your league for the playoffs, you know, like, um, but there's still a two week period where let's say one divisional race is really close and you got a guy who didn't even win the division who's only a few points behind can come surging back and end up winning the entire points thing. So it's an entire, it's, it's strictly points driven. And uh, so you can have multiple copies of players. No teams are going to be exactly the same. And it is going to be very challenging to win this whole thing. Uh, what we're hoping to do is as it gets bigger, we'll have some slightly better payouts for the divisional winners. And we may even branch it out and cut it back. And, um, you know, if, if it gets big enough, we may have to tear it out a little bit where only the, the division winners move on for a week and, you know, kind of have play-ins or whatever right I, I, i'll cross that bridge when i get to it you know but exactly. uh, but at this point that's that's the that's the format that's how it goes and uh, yeah so no no curveballs no nothing there are some strategies involved because of the flex plays and because of the scoring um some people prefer running back heavy some people prefer wide receiver heavy i mean i drafted adrian peterson in the first round last year and <laughs> that was that. Yeah, exactly. There goes your season up in smoke. Exactly. 
Uh, I just think it's awesome that you got guys like, I mean, that's what's so great about the industry. You got guys like Sigmund Bloom that are giving back. And, and, you know, I think about you just explaining the whole thing. I mean, to me, it's just all about pay, pay it forward. I mean, this is doing a good thing. And the fact that you're allowing everyone to, to give back to the charities that they, that they choose to do mean the most to them. I mean, that, that to me means a lot. Um, you know, my, my mom had, uh, lymphoma. She survived it. She's been in remission for years. My wife had cervical cancer. So to me, you know, any type of cancer, you know, supporting that to me means so much because it's affected my life. But just to dive into that real quick, but yeah. uh, it almost reminds me of, uh, you know, a fantasy football celebrity apprentice where you have, you know, all these, you know, uh, big guys and big names in the industry, obviously, uh, wanting to come back, come in and, and, and give back. So I really love, love the idea and I love what you got going on. So yeah, let's, uh, we'll get started here. Um, we'll, we'll start off with the quarterbacks. Um, as far as dynasty sleepers go, um, I guess I'll start off with the first one on my list, which, um, actually this quarterback helped me win a fantasy championship last year in a 14 team expert league. Uh, actually I, I co-owned this team with Dennis Dunbar over at the angle of pursuit. Um, and we, we actually started the season off really bad. I think we were like, I want to say two and six and we just reeled off win after win after win and wound up, uh, long story short, we won the league. Uh, it was actually Coach Esser. If anybody follows Coach Esser, it was his, his, uh, dynasty league. It was a startup last year, but we, uh, we drafted Foles and we put our faith in Foles and he obviously let us down. We ended up picking up Mark Sanchez, and we also had Carson Palmer, so he carried us for a few weeks until the injury. So our quarterbacks pretty much stunk it up until Sanchez uh, came out of nowhere. So this is a guy that I think um, he's not getting a lot of hype right now just based off of all the hype that's going to Sam Bradford right now. And, you know, I don't want to beat up Sam Bradford too much right now, but we all know he's injury-prone, whether or not it's injury-prone label or just bad luck um, or a combination of both. I just cannot put my faith in a guy like Sam Bradford to stay healthy for a 16-game grueling season that, that is the NFL. That's why another reason why I really love Mark Sanchez. I think he will get an opportunity this year, and I think when he does get the opportunity, he's going to make the most of it. Um, looking at his numbers last year, you know, he started, what was it, like, I think nine games, and he, he, he threw for almost 2,500 yards and 14 touchdowns and 11 picks. So, um, you know, the production was there. And I think, you know, another another season under Chip Kelly's learning Chip Kelly's offense is only going to help him even more. And I mean, early reports were he he was looking great in camp, um, throwing the ball really well. And I think he kind of got a leg up with Sam Bradford because he wasn't participating in eleven on eleven drills early on. Now he is participating. So, um, you know, that's just the guy that I really, you know, and I've heard the theory that you can draft Sam Bradford and maybe just back him up with Sanchez, and I kind of like that idea, too. If, if you're in, in the camp of, of Sam Bradford and you're willing to, to gamble and pin on him as your quarterback one, you're obviously waiting, so why not take Sanchez? I, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think I'm on to something with Sanchez, or do you think I'm just um, I'm just riding the high from winning a championship last year with this guy? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, I think you're, you're, you're going to get a kick out of this. Um so I'm going to jump down to my number two uh, sleeper, which is Sam Bradford. Oh, um, and, and uh, here's, here's the beautiful part about sleepers. Cause we really should qualify this. 
Sleepers can take on many, many, many different roles. It depends on what you're looking at them for. I got some serious deep sleepers on my list, you know, and I got some sleepers that could ultimately be a strong quarterback, one that you can get in the third, 13th round, which happens to be Sam Bradford, because you're absolutely right. This is a drill bit offense. What I love about Bradford versus Sanchez, because I think Sanchez can be very, you know, very effective in this role, and it is a decent bet that that guy's going to see some time this year. I think it's more than fair to label Sam Bradford injury prone. In fact, I think he's extremely injury prone, you know? So this is a gamble, and I tend to play it pretty loose. I like taking gambles. I'm a pretty aggressive player. And, uh, but the reality is, is Sam Bradford's game, if the guy somehow can stay on the field, he is one of the most accurate passers in the NFL. Even though he hasn't had a chance to show it yet, he has more than enough history on his side to show what this kind of guy can do when you can get players into space. And that's what this offense is all about. It's not about, it's all about letting the playmakers do their thing and creating mismatches and creating space. That's what the Chip Kelly offense is all about. And that's why I was so excited to see if Sam Bradford and another sleeper of mine, which I'll just leave it at that uh, for now, you know, could have worked together a little bit. I'll give a little, a little bit longer in St. Louis, and I'll, I'll, I'll tease you with that a little bit. Because, <laughs> because Bradford is extremely effective about getting the ball out on time, and getting his players into space and letting them make moves and making him look good. Um, Sanchez did very well in that capacity. And coming from a Pac-10 offense, he's very familiar with this type of style of offense. He's already got a year. So I totally understand, you know, that this is going to be a much closer competition than a lot of people realize that are just anointing Sam Bradford. I think at the end of the day, if you can eliminate his injuries and all those risks, and you just go back to their basic scouting and look at their style of play, I'll take Bradford over Sanchez. Okay, He's a much more intelligent player. He understands offenses a little bit better. Um, he's not as squirrely. Um, and, you know, but again, this is, this is so much has changed since then. So yeah, you know, Bradford at 13.09, he's a risky play. Um, if you're, you know, if you're waiting for quarterback and you end up taking like Romo in the 11th and, you know, want a high end risk, high risk, high reward guy that might be able to put up Romo or Matt Ryan type numbers in a real drill bit offense. Whoever's running that show is going to be a top 10 quarterback. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to argue with you on, on that statement. I mean, that's, there's, there's definitely some truth to that, and there's there's value to be had there with with those quarterbacks. Uh, whoever's I don't think, under center, you know, is going to be. Valuable. I don't think anybody can feel good drafting Sanchez as their QB one. I think you have yeah. to draft him as your QB two. Um, I don't think you can feel great drafting Sanchez as your QB two because. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's probably behind Bradford going into week one. Even if he's ahead right now, the odds are Bradford's there. They're not paying the guy umpteen million to to sit there. They want to see what he's got. I mean, Sanchez would have to clearly, clearly be the favorite coming out of camp um, by a good margin. 
And and that could happen. I'm not ruling it out. But it would have to be a Russell, you know, Wilson-type situation uh, when he came in there and just completely looked like the better quarterback of the two. I don't think you can feel great about either of these guys. I mean, certainly if Sanchez gets in there, you can feel better about him staying in there. But, so. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we chewed those two guys up. We, we knocked out uh, two quarterbacks, on, one on each of our list. Uh, so. That's that's a good good way to uh, kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll stay on the East Coast with my second quarterback sleeper, which I, he honestly was a guy that I kind of uh, I was definitely uh, a lot lower maybe earlier until there were some coaching changes, but and I wasn't really depending on him or even considering him early on. But Geno Smith's a name that's starting to intrigue me, starting to gain some steam, and believe it or not, I actually picked him up in. Uh, in uh, one of my leagues, actually, it's one of the leagues I'm playing in. When you guys got me into, which was the uh, the Gridiron Classic. So I'm I'm representing Fake Pigskin in that one. I'm really I, I took on a team. Uh, I like the team, and I'm definitely not depending on uh, Geno Smith as my QB one at this point. Um, but I, I did want to take a shot on him. I think he's like my fourth quarterback right now on my roster. Um, but I saw him out there on waivers, and you know. The thing that gets me the most about Geno Smith is, um, you know, quarterbacks is, is a position like tight end where it takes some time to develop, and some quarterbacks take a lot longer than others. I mean, your Russell Wilsons of the world are, are you know, few and far between. So, um, you know, quarterbacks like that need time to develop. And I think Geno Smith, you know, he's at that point right now in his career where he's kind of at a crossroads, and I think uh, that's got to motivate him more than anything else. Um, another tidbit that I heard, I heard he was uh, – Room, roommates with Brandon Marshall, and, and they're living together right now. So hopefully that's good for those two guys to build chemistry, to get to know each other. And, and I think that's only going to help on the field, you know, come Sunday. And I think that's another thing I'm looking at. Um, and the weapons that he has this year compared to last year, obviously bringing in Brandon Marshall. Um, you got the rookie Devin Smith, who we don't know what we're going to get from, but this is Deshaun Jackson light, man. I mean, this is, you know, everybody can knock Devin Smith all they want to, but um, – you know, I think Matt Harmon was one of the biggest supporters, and he kind of sold me on uh, on uh, Devin Smith. But anyway, not to get off topic, uh, the main reason I like uh, Geno Smith this year, and I think he's got a, a much better opportunity to succeed this time, um, is Chan Gailey. You know, that change I think means a lot because what does Chan Gailey run? He runs a spread offense. Okay, what did Geno Smith run in West Virginia? Spread offense. So I think. Being familiar with the spread offense is only going to help Geno Smith um, in his development, and he's going to be a lot better this year because that offense is going to be catered to him in, in what he what he knows, what he's already done and, and experienced so far in his early career. You know, so you know I don't think anybody questions you know his talent as far as um, his ability to be you know a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's just a matter of of when when is he going to you know show everything that we thought we, we had in this kid when they drafted him in, uh, in New York. So I think this is the year he takes that next step forward. He knows he's on uh, thin ice right now. And, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, fear the beard. He's he's putting pressure on him, and I think that's another motivating factor for Geno Smith. So, I mean, those are a few reasons why I like him this year. And, again, I'm not by any means saying draft this guy as your QB1 and QB2 also would probably be a stretch, but I think that he's a guy that you can stash on your dynasty roster. 
as a QB3 or QB4 and just kind of let them marinate on your roster. And hopefully, you know, one of two things happens. Either, you know, he, he does as, as well as, you know, I think he does, and you have a really good trade ship right there, or two, um, you know, he completely bombs. And if he completely bombs, then yeah, go pick up Ryan Fitzpatrick and if, if you need, if you need him. But again, I'm not depending on him yet, but I think he's, he's a, one of the best stashes at quarterback this year, other than the guy I just brought up, Mark Sanchez, in my opinion. So what do you, what's your take on Geno Smith and my, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a great take. I, um, I stashed him too on DFW 36. It's our full IDP 50 man roster league. And, I have Garoppolo, Brady, and Teddy Bridgewater, so I'm set. But Gino was just sitting out there when waivers opened, and I see it the same way. He looked sharp coming down the stretch last year, and that's in just a horseshit offense. I mean, I mean any quarterback in a Rex Ryan, you know, type team situation where it's a run control type situation, you're just setting your quarterback up for. You're never going to know what Gino Smith is going to do in an offense like that. There's no freaking way. I mean, you're a run-first team. They can't establish a rhythm, and it's not his offense. It's just not. You bring in Chan Gailey and put an offense around him, give him some weapons, and go let that kid do what he did. The quarterback's got to be a quarterback. If you want a game manager, you know, then then Rex Ryan's your guy. Then, you know, Alex <laughs> Smith is your guy. Then, you know, I mean, you got to let these guys open it up. And he's got – he showed some confidence coming down the stretch. I think it's a great, great call. Um I'm, I'm, yeah, that's all I got for it. I mean, Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, they're, they play off each other. Decker's going to put up better numbers as a wide receiver two this year than he did a wide receiver one last year. I, I fully believe that. Brandon Marshall can put up top 10 numbers with shit, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, Geno Smith is going to be more than capable enough. The irony is, is they actually have to, figure out their running game, you know, in New right. York now, where that's been solidified, you know, or, or you know, but maybe they'll let Ivory work now, too. You know, I mean, you, you have no idea. I just think that offense is completely on an uptilt, and, uh, yeah, you could do a lot worse than investing and stashing players like Ivory and Decker and Marshall, and these are guys that you're not going to be able to move anyway. They're better sitting on your roster right now anyway. The chances of them having a decent impact on the season are outstanding, and then you can decide based on what you've seen whether you want to move them, hold them, whatever. But I agree. I think Gino is going to come out looking really good. Um, I'll go. Uh, I'll stay on the East Coast as well. Um, this is a guy that I do think that, again, it's a little risk. It's still a little risky. All these guys are going to be risky. They're, that's why they're sleepers. But I honestly think this guy is going to put up quarterback one numbers this year, especially if Victor Cruz comes back in any shape or form, um, from that patella. And, uh, that is a long shot, but there has been some, you know, there's been some, Pretty good news coming out on Victor Cruz. I watched a couple promotional videos with him, and I'll tell you what, the guy's got me sold in terms of, you know, what he's trying to do, at least, to get back. But now you have Odell Beckham Jr., you have Ruben Randall, who is, I believe, one of my others, you know, I'm going <laughs> to blow that one, too. You know, but I, I love Ruben Randall in this office, man, offense, man. I mean, all the guy's done is get better every single year, even through two offensive coordinators. You know, it might not be the sharpest football IQ guy, but the West Coast offense caters to what this guy does do well. 
And right now, I mean, the guy quietly put up almost a thousand yards last year on 70 plus touches. Yeah, he didn't get to the end zone as much as you'd like to see a six three guy get into the end zone. But the reality is he was a top 30 wide receiver who's getting drafted in like the top 70 now. I mean, it's crazy how far down this guy is. I mean, you got three nasty weapons if Cruz can come back and you can even hide him with Odell Beckham and Ruben Randall. You don't need him to be Victor Cruz of Victor Cruz. You can ease him in and just, you know, have him be a threat. You got a good tight end, and you have some serious solid options at running back. You can let Vereen do his thing. Eli Manning's looking at some serious receiving weapons all over the field. And with an improved defense, I fully expect him to have an awesome year statistically. He he showed us last year and a few games, what that offense is capable of. And uh, I just think you're going to see year two in that West Coast, that, you know, that West Coast version of the offense. I just think you're going to see it really rip up. I mean, you have three, two running backs that can catch the ball really, really well in Rashad Jennings and Shane Vereen. So he's got his nookie blankies underneath. He's got his tight end when nothing else is working. Oh, yeah, and then he can just throw it up to Odell Beckham, who will catch it with his freaking finger, you know. And as long as he can get a finger on it, he's good, you know. Um so, yeah, Eli Manning is a guy that I think you can get away with as a quarterback one this year. I, I know it's a little risky going in and you want to have a solid backup, but, you know, he's a guy that you could go at 13.8. He's going in the late part of the third. He's going one pick before Sam Bradford. You could go back to back on Bradford and Eli, and you could potentially have two top 10 quarterbacks right there. Well, I think you're, you're, you're on to something with Eli Manning, and I, you know, Again, totally different topic, but Joseph Randall and Ruben Randall get absolutely zero love. And it's almost like there's no in-between with those two guys. Um, you're either on board or you're not on board. So you know, the thing about Ruben Randall is I think he's going to be a great PPR option. And like I said, he's definitely on your list, and, and I'm totally on board with that pick. But I think the key is that offense and Ben McAdoo, uh, what he's going to be able to do. I mean, this guy, I mean. Oh, he went in Green Bay, so I mean, that, this is what it's all about. And I think his offense has just getting, got another piece with Shane Vereen that he can – another chess piece that he can use uh, in that backfield to to open things up for everybody else. And like you said, you got a good tight end and, and Larry Dun- Dunnell. I think he's another guy that um, I like a lot. And I think, yeah, he had some blow-up, blow-out game, the game he hit, three-touchdown game he had against the Redskins last year, and then maybe kind of tailed off after that. But um, that's the kind of guy that they have um, over the middle that they can hit, you know, if everything else breaks down. So, yeah, I, I like that call, man. I'm, I'm on board with Eli Manning. And just like you said, I think the strategy with Eli Manning would be just what you said. If you're going to wait on quarterbacks, why the hell not, man? Wait on quarterbacks and get Eli Manning late um, and maybe pair him with – you know, one of those other secondary options, like we said, maybe a Carson Palmer or maybe um, maybe Sam Bradford. Maybe you can pair those two guys together and, and, and pretty much be set. So love that call. Um, and actually, I'm going to stay on the East Coast with my third quarterback sleeper. I guess that we should call this the East Coast show. or <laughs> um, Tyrod Taylor. And, yeah, I know it's the Buffalo Bills. They suck. And it's a dreadful Bills, Rex Ryan-led team. But, you know, I'm a little optimistic. Uh, you know, again, Tyrod Taylor, you know, is not a name that a lot of people know about. Um, but he is a guy that's got um, 
the same type of skill set that, that a guy like he's, he's not as athletic, but I would compare him to maybe like a Colin Kaepernick light in the aspect that he you know he put up similar numbers in college. He was that dual threat type quarterback, and I think when when all the smoke clears, um, you know, right now. Every, you know, the early reports are he's he's out playing EJ Manuel, which shouldn't shouldn't be really hard to do. So that's no big surprise to me. Shouldn't be to anybody. But um, I think we all know what Matt Castle is, and we know what he can and can't do, and his limitations under center. So I mean, as far as that's concerned, I just don't. At some point, you know, if they're going to have a run based offense and everything's going to be on Shady McCoy's shoulders. Um, I think their offense is better suited with a dual threat quarterback, and I think that guy is Tyrod Taylor. So um, I've taken him in a couple drafts really late. I mean, and that's the thing with Taylor, man. You can get him at bargain basement price. I mean, you can draft him in the last round. I mean, he's going to go undrafted in, in a lot of twelve team leagues out there. Um, but as far as dynasty goes, um, he's a great stash. And I actually had an IDP league um, that I was drafting. I'm still in the middle of a slow draft right now on my fantasy league. And I actually, my strategy was I had Aaron Rodgers as my QB1. And I told myself I didn't keep anybody else, any other quarterback on my roster. I said, you know what, I'm going to go for a quarterback late. When you have one of those elite options, like say a Luck, say a Rodgers, what I'm looking for is a, is a quarterback that I can get late because I know every week I'm going to be locking in Andrew Luck or locking Aaron Rodgers into my lineup except for that bye week. I don't even care about matchups. When you have one of those top-tier quarterbacks, that's the way you have to approach it. So I didn't want to pay, you know, the exorbitant price for for a second backup quarterback. So I took Tyrod Taylor, but I also took E.J. Manuel, and I kind of hedged my bets thinking that, you know, all I really need from one of these guys is, is you know, when Green Bay has a bye week, I'll slide one of these guys in. Okay, if there's an injury to Rodgers, I'm going to probably be making a trade regardless. But I'm just hoping that uh, – you know, Tyrod Taylor actually reaches the expectations a lot of people have for him. And I think in that offense, um, he's not going to be asked to do that much. And I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, he is their starter, which I would not be surprised if he was named a starter week one. And by all accounts, he, he has looked pretty good in uh, so far in camp. So, again, another under-the-radar guy that not a lot of people are talking about. Um, but I still think that there's some – where there's smoke, there's usually fire. And I think with this guy – um, you know, he has a history in, in, in with the coaching staff there, and I think that this is the type of guy that they can um, they can insert right in the starting lineup. And, yeah, he's not going to throw for 200, 250 yards every week, but I think that added dimension he, he brings with his legs is going to help out a lot. And, uh, you know, especially if you're in, say, like a two-quarterback league or something, you have an injury, and you can slide this guy in and as your second quarterback. Uh, he might just keep your head above the water, you know. What's your take on this guy? You think uh, there's any chance for him, or you think you just want to stay away from the Bills' quarterback situation altogether? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not. A, I think you sell yourself short if you eliminate any situation, you know, um, from from your analysis and from your from your choices. Um, where people eliminate things, I see opportunity, and so. You know, Tyrod Taylor is a great opportunity. And I mean, my imagination can easily get on board with a situation where you have a dual threat guy who can buy yourself a little bit of time. And now here you have Sammy Watkins, Percy Harvin, 
and LaShawn McCoy, who all happened to be two hop skips and a jump from an 80-yard touchdown pass on a screenplay, right? So, I mean, all you got to do is buy these guys just a little bit more time. It's going to be very interesting to see who they put out there week one. It's going to tell you a lot about what they kind of want to do. Right. Because you do exactly. know what Matt Castle is all about. And and uh, <clears throat> and I could, you know, I, that's going to be the big thing. And I I hope you're right. I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope they go with Tyrod Taylor because I really don't want to see Matt Castle lead that offense. I just don't. We know what the guy's going to do. And, you know, Percy struggling with routes. He's not a route guy. You know, he's a get me the fucking ball guy, you know, and I mean, that's exactly. all you got to do, you know, and it's like you don't need to overcomplicate this thing when you have playmakers like that and an awesome defense. And I can just see Rex Ryan, you know, getting all conservative on it and, you know, throwing Castle in there and just, you know, rolling with it. But I agree. I think I think you add a whole nother dimension. I think even a guy like, um, you know, Tavarius Jackson is a t- possible com- comparison to mm-hmm. Tyrod Taylor where, you know, yeah, I mean, they're borderline starters, you know, but they're playmakers. And with an offense like that, you have to have a guy that's not going to shit the bed for season, you know, series in a row. You need a guy who, if nothing else, can run for six yards on third and seven, you know, and, and, and can make something happen and light a fire and get things excited. And I think that's what they really need to do in Buffalo. I, I just think there's n- nothing really else that needs to be said there. I, I agree. I mean, why not? Why not go with that guy? One last thing. It's crap. Yeah, he is crap. <laughs> He's definitely crap. One last thing I want to say, and then we're going to move on to your next quarterback sleeper. Um, you know, we have to take into consideration the offensive change in the coaching side of it with offensive coordinator Greg Roman's scheme. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't like Greg Roman. They don't like his scheme. But, okay, from the fantasy perspective, look what he did with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco, and he's bringing that to Buffalo. So if you think about it from that perspective, um, you know, Kaepernick finished only behind Russell Wilson last year in rushing yards and, and rushing attempts. So, you know, may, yeah, obviously I'm not saying Kaepernick is Tyrod Taylor – or Tyrod Taylor is not as good. He's not on that level with Kaepernick. But if you look at the scheme and you think about it, what makes more sense? Um, Greg Roman's scheme with Matt Castle under center or Greg Roman's scheme with Tyrod Taylor under center? That, that's all I have to say. You do the math. Well, and honestly, I'm not even above, I'm not even above putting them on the same level. I mean, Tyrod Taylor's got some, you know, proving to do. Kaepernick's biggest, in my opinion, his biggest plus is that the guy plays pretty damn good in big games. But as an actual pure NFL quarterback, he leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, at this point in time, you can you can throw him in with every other dual threat quarterback that just isn't good enough to get it done, you know. And and so I mean, he just, yeah. I mean, that's a good pick, man. It's a good pick. Um, I'm gonna go deep too. Um, I'm going to go deep, and you mentioned him. I'm going way west coast now, and I'm just going to rattle off the weapons. Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Floyd, John Brown, David Johnson, Andre Ellington. You know, I don't even care who they have at quarterback, whether it's or a tight end, whether it's Gresham that emerges or whatever. Um, offensive line play will probably be the biggest question mark in Arizona. Their defense is definitely going to have them 
their offense on the field a lot. Um, and the reality is, is on paper, this is the best offense that uh, Carson Palmer's ever had to deal with. They have a perfect blend of everything. And, uh, you know, Arians has that thing ready to hum. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald is far from done. The guys bounce from crappy situation to crappy situation. We all know this situation there. He's still one of the best wide receivers in the game. I mean, that's why every great wide receiver goes to his camp in the offseason, you know, it's so they can get even better. Exactly. Um, yeah, his athleticism may not match his ball skills at this stage in the game, but the guy still has hyper elite top three ball skills catch radius in the league. He might not be able to jump out of the seat, you know, out of the stadium anymore, but he makes one hell of a possession receiver. Then you have Michael Floyd, who hasn't realized his full potential, but at the very least, you have your athletic freak who's going to jump up and surprise you in the red zone. And then you have, you know, John Brown, who, you know, could easily be the next Antonio Brown, T.Y. Hilton situation and, you know, another notch in Bruce Arian's belt. I mean, him and Carson Palmer are, you know, slurping the same snow cones and skipping down the beach together this off season. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a full on bromance in Arizona. And how can you not love what that guy did last year? He quietly tore it up in arguably the shittiest offensive situation in the league last year, quarterback wise, and was buried amongst rookie wide receivers because that class was crazy last year. Crazy. Insane. Insane. All the guy did was put up seven, eight hundred yards, catch sixty balls, and lead, you know, basically Arizona. I mean, he outproduced Michael Floyd in damn near every category, made plays all over the field. That dude is gonna be awesome. And he's another one of my sleepers. So I'm just blowing the whole thing out of you know. (laughs) But Carson Palmer's Carson Palmer's ADP is nineteen twelve. I mean, you can snag him in the 20th round. That's crazy to me. Okay, yeah, wow. he's a little, you know, yeah, there's there's risk there, of course, you know, and it all hinges on him. That's what sucks, is it all hinges on his health because nobody down there can handle this offense except Carson Palmer. And even that has some question marks. The craziest part is Arizona probably has the two best, two of the, if not the best pass catching backs in the entire league, entire league. David Johnson is the best catching running back I've ever scouted, period, period. He's that good. You can put him anywhere. He's a converted wide receiver. Use crazy things you can do with that guy. Andre Ellington is no slouch. They could go six wide, two in the backfield and four out. I mean, they can do anything with that offense. It's sky's the limits. It's just what can Carson Palmer handle and can they get the right mix and match and can everybody, you know, can everybody put up? But Carson Palmer could be a top five guy. Not even top ten. He could be a top five guy. This guy could be pushing 35, 38, 40, you know, touchdowns. And a lot of them could be little dinks here and a little dink here and a little dink here because that field is going to be so spread because of all their offensive weapons. Yeah, I love what Arizona is doing, man. I mean, I think they're a nasty, nasty team. If their team is even remotely close to the team it was last year defensively and Palmer can stay on the field, that's my favorite. I don't think Seattle can compete with that team. I mean, I just don't. I think they're loaded, loaded. So I'm excited to see what they can do. I love that, call, and I'll just say one thing, Dan. I think uh, you and I were cut from the same stone because we're both the same type of owners. 
we're looking for those high risk, high reward type players. Uh, we're riverboat gamblers. We're going to go put it all down, put all our chips on the table, and <laughs> and then that's exactly what I'm going to do too. I mean, if, if I can get a quarterback with the upside of, of Carson Palmer that late in a, a draft, why the hell wouldn't I want to wait on the quarterback position? So I, I think that's one thing uh, you know I look at when I look at these guys. You know, last two guys you brought up, they're great names to target late in your draft. If your strategy is to wait on quarterback, go for it this year because I think this is the year where you have so many options late in the draft, Carson Palmer being uh, one of the best ones, I think. And, and let's say that that offense or defense takes a step back. Let's, 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 let's think for a second. Todd Bowles' defense was great last year. Even if their defense does take a step back, which I think it might take a little step back, um, I'm not concerned about it because that means that they're going to probably be down in more games they're going to be throwing the ball more, which is only yep. going to increase the odds that Carson Palmer has a big, huge, monster season if he stays on the field. And, again, the same question marks you have with with uh, Sam Bradford you have with Carson Palmer. If he can just stay on the field and play a you know, 14-, 16-game season, you know, at the end of the season his numbers are going to look really good and they're going to be up there. And I'm not even going to go through all the options that you went through that he has at his disposal because you pretty much chewed that up pretty good. We'll uh, – We'll move on to the running back um, position, and you know what? I'll uh, I'll let you throw me a curveball first, since I have no idea who your first sleeper is. I'll let sure. you lead off here with your uh, your running back sleepers or one. Well, of I'll go I'll go in order of ADP. Um, so I'll start with the lower round sleeper, somebody that I think will actually come out of the gate as a bona fide running back one who's being drafted as a running back three flex, and that's Doug Martin um, in Tampa Bay. Um, he's got everything to play for. Uh, I've always been a I've always been a fan of the muscle hamster. The last two years, you know, after that rookie season, it was kind of tough to tough to watch his last couple of years, but. He was one of my favorite running backs coming out of Boise State. I love everything he does is multidimensional, good pass protector, good pass catcher, good runner, in between, outside, got the speed to take up the distance, just everything we wanted to see in a running back. And he struggled with some injuries. That offensive line play has been absolutely atrocious the last two years. They've been in the bottom 25, you know, under in the bottom seven or bottom five in the last two years. Last year, you know, and, uh, 2013. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people got excited about, uh, Sims coming in there. I honestly, other than his pass catching skills, I didn't have him graded as an NFL running back. I didn't think that a team would draft him for his running capabilities. He is a very, very good pass catcher and he will see some time out of that backfield. But when he came in last year, you saw what it was. That guy is slow motion. He's plotty. He runs upright. He is going to give you no advantage in the running game. And you already got Lovey Smith, who drafted Sims, has no ties to Doug Martin already coming out and saying Doug Martin's our starter. The guy's down 10, 15 pounds, which is always a great indicator for running backs, right? It's a great indicator. Le'Veon Bell. You got Carlos Hyde out in San Francisco who's looking lean and mean. And these are guys coming down from 225, 230. It's not like they're all of a sudden going to be – you know, losing their power. They're just gaining speed. They're gaining velocity. They're gaining agility back by losing that. They're focused. And Doug Martin happens to be playing for his entire future right now. He's on a contract year. Chances are he's out in 
Tampa Bay. I mean, maybe, maybe not, but chances are he's out. With the running back markets the way they are, he needs a big season. Everything is on the line. Everything. You start putting X, Y, and Z together and adding up that equation, the guy's in perfect physical shape, working harder than he ever is, flashing in camp, already has the starting gig, and he's playing for his probably last NFL contract and at his age, He's looking to cash in. This guy needs to make five to seven million a year next year to have this worth all the wear and tear that this guy's getting his, you know, that he's put on his body over the first 25 years of his life. Guy's got three, four more years. Good. Tops. You know, so this is it. Everything's on the line. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm investing in that situation in the ninth round all day long, every day. The crazy thing is, is this is a guy you can stash as you're running back three, running back four. Chances are he's going to be an every week starter for you as long as he's healthy. Not to mention Tampa Bay's passing offense and offense in general is massively improved, as is their offensive line. It's going to be a little better. So the whole equation down in Tampa Bay is better, and Doug Martin's leading the charge, and it's going to get the bulk of the carries down there. So he's a guy, in my opinion, you can still get for a future second, although your window is closing big time on him because it's been nothing but positivity for the last six weeks. You pretty much nailed it all on the head. When you're when you're talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their dysfunctional offense last year, I think it it all starts with that offensive line. It was just putrid. So I mean, if that if I think it doesn't matter what running backs you know um, in the backfield. I think if that doesn't improve, they're going to be limited to you know um, what they can do in that offense. But I think obviously adding Winston, you know, is a, going to be a major help. Um, you got Mike Evans coming back second year, um, and I think Vincent Jackson's a guy who people were forgetting about. I would compare Vincent Jackson to Larry Fitzgerald. He's still he's still got it in this game, and, and for for you to think that this guy's only going to score two touchdowns again this year, uh, there's no way in hell Vincent Jackson only scores two touchdowns. But I, I like I like Evans to take the next step forward, and I think with that offense, it's going to open up a lot of uh, running lanes. So I mean, is question again remains to be seen but is the blocking going to improve is that line going to improve if, if it does i'm willing to take a chance on a guy like uh, doug martin um and obviously i got a, enough charles sim shares as, as they are um as it is right now but I, I don't know man i'm just you know the contract year thing that that definitely it's something to pay attention to because you know he's got to be motivated more than ever and, and like we were talking about with uh you know, a guy like Geno Smith, I mean, he's kind of at the crossroads right now where he's going to go. So, I mean, this this year's big time for him. And if he wants to get paid um, and if he thinks, you know, he's that type of running back that deserves a big bucks, I mean, he's got he's to sh- put out, you know. So either show up or shut up, you know. So yep. I like the call, um, and I like him more because of the value of where you're going to get him in, in his current ADP more than anything else. I'd probably be willing to take a chance – on him or take a shot on him to get him later than say the eighth or ninth round. I would much rather have Dougie Martin in my opinion than a guy like say Shane Vereen. That's just my opinion, but uh, sure. I think the carries are going to be there for the lead back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And even if they sprinkle in Sims, um, you know, on the pass catching downs, uh, I still think there'll be enough for Dougie Martin to put up some, some decent numbers if the offensive line improves. So, I like that call. Um, 
my number one sleeper on my list uh, is definitely a guy who's really yet to get a, the opportunity. I think that that speaks volumes. Chris Ivory for the Jets. Um, this is a guy that's you know kind of been a journeyman. I mean, he's not really ever had the opportunity to be quote unquote lead back of the bell cow for any offense. Um, you know, last year it seemed like they had shackles on this guy and, you know, he never really, uh, I mean, he, he, he averaged, you know, like 12 yards per carry last year or 12, 12, uh, 12 <laughs> carry per, per game, 12 yards per carry. That'd be great. <laughs> no, but I mean, only 12, um, carries per game was his average. Um, so I think that number has to go up, but I did dug a little deeper and I saw, you know, the few games that they did give him 17 carries or more in a game, he was over 84 yards in, in those games, and he he reached pay dirt. So this is a type of running back that can help you out in PPR leagues. He can catch the ball. To be honest with you, I'm not worried about uh, Stephen Ridley because he can't stay healthy. Um, you know, Zach Stacy might be lurking in the shadows. I know you and I are definitely uh, we like Zach Stacy. We always have, but I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity. I think they're going to stick with the guy that you know. Is a bruising back. I mean, Chris Ivory, he's just a bruiser. And I mean, he, he's not afraid to get in there and just, you know, carry his defenders three or four yards. You know, they, that's the type of running back that runs hard, um, you know, with aggression that I, I would like to have in my lineup. So I think, again, he's like Doug Martin because you can get him later and, and guys are sleeping on him. And maybe it's the Jets offense that everybody's scared away from because of Geno Smith, because of offensive coordinator and so on and so forth. But I do like Ivory and I, I've been warming up to him more and more. And I think that they, they have to give him a, a bigger piece of the pie this year. And I think they will. And if say this guy gets 20 carries a year, I mean, or 20 carries a game, he, he's going to be a top 20 running back. I mean, he still finishes fantasy's number 19 uh, running back last year. So, you know, he breaks tackles, you know, he's the competition behind him. I, I don't think there's not too much competition, and I just think this is his job. There's no questions asked, and I think with that offense, if it, if it does improve um, and they're able to move the ball with Chan Gailey's uh, spread offense, I think that's only going to uh, give Ivory even more chances, more goal line touches, and more touchdowns. And, hey, at the end of the day, touchdowns are fantasy gold, man, so that's that's what I'm looking for. What's your take on Ivory? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a, I like Ivory. Um, he's a great stash. He's Marion Barber, you know, I mean, he's such an aggressive runner. He's by far their most powerful and, and, and aggressive and bruising runner. Um, he has had injury issues over the year. Last year was by far his best, most consistently played year. Um, maybe that was because he only got 12 carries a game. Maybe not. Um, he also had his best receiving statistical year last year. I believe it was like 18 receptions, which was almost triple any other year the guys had. So, you know, Ivory's take, you know, it just seemed like he was always missing on passing downs, which to me is a little telling. It's like, do they trust him to pass block? Does he not understand that situation? Um, he, you know, he's shown he's capable of receiving, but is he a really good receiver? I don't know. You know, Powell's there. He's definitely a better receiver. Mm-hmm. That situation's interesting because, yeah, you know my love for Stacy, And, you know, I mean, I think he's probably the best pass protector on the team. I think he's a very good pass. You know, he's probably the most well-rounded running back they have on that roster right now. He's just not going to wow you in any one category. Right. 
But the news came out, you know, that there's a chance this guy might not make the roster. And if they only carry three running backs, right, I mean, there's a chance Ridley's going to be on pop. So, I mean, where does that leave you? That leaves you with Ivory and Powell to carry the load. So at the very, you know, uh, Powell, is it Powell's? Yeah. (laughs) I was was thinking like boom, boom, Powell. I tried to, I tried to, I tried to, uh, I tried to avoid his first name. I feel like I'm drunk saying it. Bilal. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Um, Have another uh, one. <laughs> you know, but yeah, you know, I mean, I, yeah, there's so many question marks with Chan Gailey, and there's so many reasons to be optimistic about that offense coming forward that he's a stash for sure. You're not moving that guy right now. You're acquiring him if you can get him for the sleeper price. So, yeah, I mean, right out of the gate, what are they, they're not going to run, you know, Bilal. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know right. when they can run Ivory, they're just not going to do it. I mean, Ivory's a five-yard back, you know, five-yard back. Every time you gave him the ball, he's a five-yard back. Why aren't you going to give that guy 20 carries? Um, there's got to be a good reason. So we're going to know a lot. It's going to answer a lot of questions um, uh, on his usage coming out of the gate because Ridley's going to be slow going. I mean, even if they don't pop him, he's going to be slow out of the gate for a couple of weeks. So Ivory should have a ton of work coming out. And that's another strategy right there. If you read that situation, well, then bank on it. You know, that offense is going to be improved. They're going to have a decent wide receiver, you know, situation. They're going to have to use him a lot the first couple of weeks. So then bank on that, you know, get yourself ahead of the game and be like, all right, I'm putting a week three sell on this guy or at least a week three shop, right? Let everybody get excited and be like, all right, there's Chris Ivory. That's the one we've all been waiting for. His mileage is still pretty low. Here it is. And then all of a sudden Ridley comes back and fucks the whole synchro mesh up, you know? So and just in time for you to flop him for Doug Martin. I was going to say, and then it turns into a fantasy quagmire. Exactly. I'm kind of cussy tonight. I hope that's all right. No, you're fine. Uh, right. <laughs> honestly, I don't, I don't see any way Zach Stacy doesn't make that roster, but I, I would be shocked if he didn't. But um, I definitely hey. think, you know, if you're banking on it, if you can get Ivory as late as, as he's going with his current ADP, there's just so much value to be had there. So, And like like you said, you know, the the – Fantasy owners that are going to dominate their leagues or the ones that dominate most every year, they're the owners that are able to read the tea leaves. They're able to, to see the handwriting on the wall before beforehand, and they capitalize on that. So I think um, that that's the key, and you hit the nail on the head with that. So yeah. I'll, uh, <clears throat> I'll move on to my second uh, running back sleeper, which actually uh, a little birdie told me. Actually, I was on the Dynasty Pulse uh, a couple weeks ago with Josh Johnson and uh, – this was a guy that you just traded away, and uh, we won't get it too much into your trade, but you traded away Andre Williams, and I know you got a lot back for him um, in return. And you can go into that trade if you want to. That's fine uh, if you don't want to. But Andre Williams uh, for the Giants. Now, I'll just preface this by saying I was so high on Andre Williams last year that you know there was probably not any other rookie running back that I wanted to own, and I kind of fell in love with this guy. Um, I drafted him pretty much every dynasty uh, roster that I had, and then I was utterly disappointed because, you know, again, depending on a rookie to get a shot, you know, it's so hard to tell, you know, and, and 
like a guy like Trey Mason, I mean, yeah, the handwriting was on the wall. We pretty much we we saw that you know that they drafted a guy high, you know, after Zach Stacy's big year. So that was a little bit more um, easier to read. But the situation here in New York, um, it still kind of perplexes me to a point where I, I'm still I, I, I'm still in the camp that I still believe in Andre Williams, and I think. This is a, this is a chance for him and an opportunity for him to take the next step forward. I know Shane Vereen's going to be that uh, third down pass catching running back. Um, he's he's going to seize that role. There's nobody to compete with him as far as that goes. And Jennings, I mean, we all know what Jennings is. You know, um, he's a type of player that, that teases you with two or three big games, and then all of a sudden he goes down for the season and he, he's out. So he, you know, he gets nicked up easy. He's um, not durable at all. So. I think Andre Williams is going to gain a bigger part of that offense this year, and I think he, if he's even at the very worst, if he's dependent on it as a goal line running back in that offense. Okay, we've already touched on it. All the weapons that they have um, in the offensive coordinator, I think everything's the arrows, arrows pointing up for those guys, and I think they're going to put up a lot of points. You're going to be able to move the football, and at the end of the day, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of goal line carries available, and I think Andre Williams is the guy that's going to. Uh, sneak in there and get a large majority of those you know if he can take that next step forward you know I just liked how hard and aggressive this guy ran in college and maybe maybe I saw something that a lot of other scouts maybe didn't like but you know I'm not a quote-unquote scout but from what I saw I liked what I saw but again do you think his true potential do you think he's going to ever reach that potential or do you think he's just that type of running back that's just going to be a role player in in and kind of be confined to those goal line touches only uh until Rashad Jennings goes down I think he'll be you know uh, he'll he'll be you know um resigned to the goal line work which again you nailed it I mean there's a good chance Rashad Jennings goes down um he's Rashad Jennings looked really good when he was healthy but again again we know that you know we know what he is uh, the New York running back situation is really a mystery for me. I mean, I just wrote a Dynasty Dilemma uh, debate article with my co-owner, Jeff Melbestead, who's a good buddy of mine, and we kind of go back and forth and, um, you know, kind of sort out that situation. And he's a big Andre Williams fan, too, and I have no problem with him. The guy runs awesome. Um, they have very little invested in him, and that's the problem with the running back situation right now is so much changes every single year. Um, so the longer this guy gets stuck Anywhere behind Rashad Jennings scares me just a little bit, um, even another year in this situation. So, I mean, the best thing that could happen in New York is Jennings goes down. And then they have a much more clearly defined role there with Andre Williams and Shane Vereen. Um, Rashad Jennings gives them the nice blend of both, um, which I know they like. You know, they don't want, they don't want to telegraph a pass by bringing in Vereen. They don't want to telegraph a run by bringing in Andre Williams. You put Rashad Jennings in there and you can do either pretty effectively. Andre Williams needs to improve his pass catching ability. You know, that's what it, you know, that's what it boils down to. And, uh, yeah, that offense needs to improve. You know, his, uh, he was less than impressive in terms of his actual output on a, you know, he, he had moments. Don't get me wrong, but he really yeah. faded down. He faded down the stretch. And so I think, uh, I think he got best case scenario an Alfred Morris type situation with, with, uh, with him. And I think that could be very good. I mean, you could have a guy averaging 75 yards and a touchdown a game, 12, 13 touchdowns a year type situation. Um, I just, 
I'm basically avoiding New York's running back situation because I can't get a good beat on it. And if I, you know, I think I feel like I have a really good imagination when it comes to, you know, projecting and seeing how things are going to, um, you know, play out. And that when I can't get a beat on something, I just kind of steer, you know, I just kind of steer clear. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why I won't go into it a lot, but I, mm-hmm. I got some pieces back and everything, but, you know, getting Javarius Allen back for me, getting Buck Allen back in that deal was a big deal for me because again, I see him as a Mark Tressman invested pass catching back that, you know, Matt, you know, Forsett is maybe got a year. Maybe I see that situation a lot clearer, you know, just in my own head. I saw Forsett really struck getting his ass kicked down the stretch. The guy was running hard. He was mm-hmm. playing for a contract. I'm so glad he got it. And I mean, he does a ton of stuff well. I'm just not sure we're going to see the same motivated Forsett that got his ass kicked last year. I mean, that guy, especially in the playoffs, if you go back and watch Baltimore's playoff game, that guy was getting crushed. I mean, crushed. I was just, oh, I mean, uh, it's like, how long can this guy keep getting back up and playing? You know, I mean, he's, and, and so, but he did. And I just see them as, I see Trustman, he's invested in that pick. And I see, you know, Buck Allen being somebody that by this time next year, uh, you know, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be I'm like you got spirits in your house, man. I'm like, I'm watching oh. your door just open by itself. Well, Mad Dog just had one of his uh, furry little friends come visit for the podcast. Um, All right. As long as some freaky ghoul doesn't pop up on my screen and shit <laughs> myself. Um, so, but no, he's. Buck Allen yeah, is so, one of your sleepers then. Well, he's he's one of my favorite, like, next year, late you know, late season mm-hmm. players. And in that league, that's what I'm playing for. My team's been in developmental mode and I'm just, it's my team stacked from all 40 players in terms of high end potential. Now it's going to be fun this season watching these players either hit it or miss it. And then I'm going to have to decide on each one of them, whether I think it's real or if I want to capitalize on that hit and move it for something a little more, more stable, but it is in far as far as those thirty six teams go, I don't think there's a roster with more potential upside on it than mine. But it's unrealized, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm going to go at uh, in the seventeenth round, uh, kind of piggybacking off of Shane Vereen a little bit. I'm going James White in New England um, again. Here's a you know, I, I hate going New England on it, but, um, you know, but there is a role there. There is a significant role there that is left vacated. And, you know, LeGarrette Blunt is not going to fill that role. It's either going to be Cadet or it's going to be James White. White has the inside track. I'm not saying he's going to look exactly like Shane Vereen is, but they're going to Brady needs a guy like that. That's how he plays. He needs a guy like that. White's the guy right now. Why wouldn't that guy catch 50, 60 balls? I mean, it's basically built into the offense. Whoever plays that role is going to catch 50, 60 balls. Then it'll be down, you know, then it'll all come down to touchdowns. It's going to be a super frustrating situation. There'll be one game where he scores three and puts up 35 points, and then he'll, you know, have two points the next game and barely be touched. And that's New England running back for you. But in a PPR league, you can do a lot worse than grabbing this guy and getting his 12-point average in the 17th round. 
I mean, that's, you know, that's basically my take on James White. Someone's going to fill that role in some capacity. And, you know, Cadet's got some, you know, some growing to do. And honestly, James White is probably, you know, they're very similar. I would put White a little more talented than uh, Cadet. But, um, and it's Belichick, so you never know. They could go both get 50 touchdowns or 50 catches for all I know. Um, but yeah, in the 17th round, why not? Why not throw a guy like that on there? It's kind of like a Danny Woodhead situation, you know, where, you know, it's just, it's totally PPR based. If it's a non PPR league, I'm not, I'm not touching the guy. So I should make that disclaimer. Yeah. James White was another guy that I was kind of. I, I, I targeted him a lot in, in a lot of dynasty drafts last year, along with Andre Williams. Um, you know, he definitely came from that Wisconsin system, you know, smash mouth football. I mean, we keep seeing him, you know, reload every year, and it seems like every year there's another Wisconsin running back in the draft. <laughs> Excuse me. And I think James White probably was one of the, the lesser names in the last few years that came out of Wisconsin. But, um what he does bring is, is like, like you said, that, that pass-catching dimension. And there's obviously a need there and, and a role to fill. Um, and I think he – I would agree with you. I think he's their best option. I think Cadet is, is like that really deep, 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 deep sleeper. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess, to me, I'm just kind of hesitant to, to bank on any of these uh, Patriot running backs. I've just been burned too many times with uh, Bill Checks. Um, bag of tricks and we just never know what you're going to get from week to week who's going to be the guy i mean um you know i just took a shot in, in one of my uh same idp league that i drafted uh tyrod taylor in i dra- i drafted jonas gray really 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 late you know again i'm throwing darts hoping to get lucky um and that's the kind of thing you do late in the draft so in a ppr league i like that pick and i think james white could could surprise a lot of people um it's real Real funny, uh, real quick when you when you when you're talking about I pulled up James White on playerprofile.com uh while you're giving your breakdown just to kind of see and you'll never guess who his best uh closest comparable is. Vereen. <laughs> Bilal Powell. <laughs> <laughs> so coming full circle here. I just thought that was pretty funny. I wanted to mention it real quick, but yeah, well, I, I and, like the pick. And, and if you look at it from an investment standpoint only, right? I mean, if you're in a PPR league, it was about a year ago or so that Shane Vereen was being picked in the mid-third round. I mean, third, fourth round, they were snatching that guy up. Why? Because he had a stretch of five games down the stretch that made this guy look like the next Matt Forte. And he just simply wasn't. And James White isn't going to be either, more than likely. At best, he's going to be the next Shane Vereen, right? But again, if you know this, if you can imagine this, if you are smart enough to anticipate this, and you're sitting in the late 17th round and James White is there, and you know the guy is going to be on the field, you know he's going to catch passes, you know he's going to have a really strong opportunity to string together at least a couple games Right. This is an investment piece. This isn't a, you know, a team builder. This isn't a guy that you're like, oh, thank God, you know, I got my championship team put together now. No, this is a guy that's fool's gold. He's a guy that is going to look really, really shiny in a couple weeks. But you know what? As long as you're aware of that and someone else isn't, you're going to capitalize on your league. Yeah. Those are the guys you want to target late. Like you said, they're, uh, they're, they're called lottery tickets for a reason. And, uh, they, can, they can hit big for you. So I'm going to move on to a guy that, uh, you know, I was going to 
try and stay away from the rookies, but uh, there's definitely one rookie. I know what rookie running back you love the most, but this is a guy that um, Duke Johnson. You know, I know we're talking about a, a muddy situation in Cleveland. We don't know what's going to happen, but two things about the Cleveland Browns. Okay, they're known for one their defense, which their defense is pretty solid. Um, against the pass last year, obviously they were dead last against the rush, but their pass defense is good. But that's real. I mean, in the history of, of the Browns, that's what they're known for. Second thing they're known for is run, running the football. So that's the thing that that I would focus on the most. And yes, you got a three-headed monster right now. I mean, we got to look at it from the fantasy fantasy perspective, and we got um, Isaiah Crowell, who's looks like he's going to probably be the lead back. Um, Right now, so far on paper, the one thing about the Cleveland Browns and running backs, uh, we saw it last year was um, the coach Pedden. He, he's not afraid to ride with the, ride the hot hand. So that's that's kind of the scary thing with Cleveland Browns and, and the running back situation is from week to week it could change and it did change last year. But I think at the end of the day, what I'm looking at is there the handwriting's on the wall. They drafted Duke Johnson. Um, they've already gone out and compared him to, say, like a Giovanni Bernard-type role in that offense. Um, we all saw what Giovanni Bernard did as a rookie with the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm not saying he's going to have that type of season, but I definitely think that he could, if he gets the touches um, and they give him the opportunity, I think he could be somewhere in the neighborhood of what Gio did in his rookie year. Um, and I just think that, you know, this could be the lightning. I mean, he could be the uh, the lightning to the thunder that is Isaiah Crowell, and I think with these two guys, I think Terrence West is the guy that's going to lose out on carries. He's the guy that's going to be standing on the sideline and going to be an afterthought. And I think the focus is going to be on these two guys, Isaiah Crowell and I think Duke Johnson. What Duke Johnson brings, if you're in any, again, just like you said with James White, if you're in PPR leagues and you're not targeting Duke Johnson, you're doing yourself a big disservice. Because this guy is going to be the guy, I think, um, who could be this year's Trey Mason. I think, you know, say Crowell gets hurt, again, I'm Purely speculation here. Crowell does get hurt. I think you're looking at Duke Johnson. And you're looking at a guy that could could handle 20 carries a game uh, with the pass catching abilities that he has. I mean, you could have yourself a you know a high end RB two for the rest of the season in, in weeks that he could perform even better than that. So I just love Duke Johnson. I love everything about his game. He has a pedigree. He came from Miami. You look at the running backs that come from Miami. I mean, he crushed every rushing record and, and just killed it. Um, and I know he probably played a little bit longer than, say, guys like Frank Gore and and James and those guys. But, you know, when I look back at it, I think Duke Johnson, this guy could be one of the running backs. We look back on it and say, wow, you know, I wish I would have drafted him in every dynasty league out there, uh, especially for the PPR owners out there. So well, what's your take on Duke Johnson? I know uh, he's never left my top five. I love the guy. I mean, and this is a strong running back class, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if 2015 was the year of the running back, like 2014 was the year of the wide receiver. Um, I like him better than Giovanni Bernard, personally, from a talent standpoint. I think he's more dynamic. I think he's more powerful. He's equally as good a pass catcher. Um, I think you're, you know, you're absolutely onto something. Um, we, Jeff and I also did a Dynasty Dilemma Cleveland article, and I was all over Duke Johnson, um, because he offers something different. Um, and I think that gives him 
a sneaky inside track to a potentially bigger role when the other two don't perform. And you saw it last year. Neither one of them could really, really grab hold of it. And and I think they're going to continue to fight back and forth. I mean, for you know, Crowell, his big thing is, you know, is the ball security issues. Right. Um, West is a little more dependable back um, and a little more versatile. Uh, Crowell's going to give you a little more power, a little more punishing. I think they can use all these guys, but Duke Johnson absolutely can hold up at the next level. Um, he can absolutely take a, a shady McCoy 20, 25 touches a game type role if that, if he ends up flashing in the passing game and flashing in his work, which I just think when you have backs like Crowell and West and then you bring in Duke Johnson, that's a huge advantage versus defenses. And I find it very, I, I kind of expected Devonta Freeman last year to kind of do the same thing with Steven Jackson. I mean, just never really got the opportunity. Um, but with that kind of attacking mentality and that type of skill set, I really expect Deuce Johnson to flash early and often. And that's just going to lead to more playing time. And eventually he's going to work his way in there. I love it. I think he's the back to own. I honestly wouldn't touch the other two. And the cool thing about it right now, and I shouldn't say cool, but, but that's, you know, I'm just like you, I'm looking for values. And if you, like, say in, in an even like a keeper or redraft league, um, I think he, he's a guy that you could target late. And now with the news that he, you know, with the injury status, if you're drafting anytime soon, I think you're going to get even more of a value because a lot of owners are going to look at that and they're going to say, oh, Duke Johnson, you know, he's a rookie. He's on a sucky, sucky-ass Cleveland Brown offense. Um Hurt, he's injured. So I think you get even more of of a discount, you know, in the next coming weeks with that news breaking now. Um, and I think that's something you want to capitalize on as an owner. Like, go out and get this guy, uh, get him at a discount, and like you said, just let him sit there and marinate on your on, on your bench and, and wait for him to get his opportunity. And he's especially in the PPR league. I mean, so again, that, that guy, I've definitely. Playing my flag on Duke Johnson, and and I love everything he, he brings to the table. Um, I think you have one more running back. I got my last one, um, another rookie, and uh, I can basically sum up my explanation in one word. Um, but that running back is Cameron Artis Payne, SEC's leading rusher last year, um, Carolina Panthers, downhill runner, very powerful runner, versatile, can do it all. Um, basically buried amongst a class of very exceptional running backs this year. And my one explanation is Jonathan Stewart. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I mean, it's not if, it's when, you know. Exactly. You know, okay, he got healthy for a few games last year. Congratulations, everybody. You know, those of you who own him and are expecting 16 games this year, I want you in my league because if you believe that, I can sell you anything. You know, this this is another one of those SEC running backs. I love I love the call actually for a number of reasons, but I just love these SEC running backs. They keep churning them out. They keep coming. You know, Trey Mason. Um, you know, you got Josh Robinson. Obviously, there, there's so many yeah. this year. Uh, and you're right. It's it's the year of the running back. Like last year was the year of the wide receiver. We saw so many make make that such a big impact uh, their first year which we haven't seen in so long. And I think this year, the same thing goes to say for the running back classes, there's going to be guys like Cameron Artis Payne that kind of fall under the radar and people don't don't consider drafting them. I mean, obviously in Dynasty Leagues, he needs to be owned in every 
damn league out there. But um, in all the other leagues, um, this is a guy that if you own Jonathan Stewart, you better go out and get Kaminar's pay. I mean, cap mm-hmm. as they would like to call him. Yeah. But, you know, the the stat that kind of rings true and kind of sums all of this stuff up is what running back led the SEC in, in rushing last year. Cameron Artis Payne. I mean, that should say it all. I mean, there's no cupcake defense in the SEC, and I have respect for any running back that um, is able to lead the SEC in, in rushing yards. And so this guy, uh, I think he is going to make an impact, and it's going to be sooner than later. And yep. he's, he's that got to have him, man. He, he's probably like the top one of the top handcuffs, I think, rookie handcuffs you can get out there. Um, and I think Carolina's got a good offense that they're going to move the football. Um, this is the kind of guy you want to go out and target late and make sure you, you own them. And, and Carolina just needs somebody who they can depend on and actually know who their guy is. You know what I mean? He's definitely going to be second fiddle to Jonathan Stewart, but it's only going to be for a couple of weeks. Stewie's going to get hurt, and I will eat a hat if he doesn't. <laughs> I couldn't agree more with you on that one. All right, I think we're done with running backs, and we're going to move on to the wide receiver side of it and I'm actually going to start off with uh I guess since we're talking to some rookies here and, and you know we we love talking rookies uh especially in the dynasty world I'm going to talk about a guy that I think is going to again like Cameron Ars Payne I think this guy is going to get an opportunity sooner than later and that's Tyler Lockett for uh, the Seahawks I know his upside may be capped a little bit um with with the offense that he's in but I also think that Seattle might open it up a little bit more this year. It might take the restraints off uh, Russell Wilson and allow him to pass a little bit more than he has, in, you know, um, the last couple of years. So, you know, early reports are, you know, Tyler Lockett's looking great. And, you know, he's they've been impressed with his route running. Um, you know, I guess the number one reason why they drafted this guy, well, I wouldn't say number one reason, but one of the big reasons was to improve their return game. And I think, that's just kind of like the tip of the iceberg with Tyler Lockett. I think that's just another added dimension that he brings uh, to, to the game, to the team, also to his fantasy owners. You know, if you're in leagues where you get um, bonus points for punt return, kick return, yardage, and, and obviously touchdowns, uh, I think that makes him even more valuable. But as far as Dynasty is concerned, you know, I know you guys had him ranked in your top ten over there at Dynasty Football Warehouse, and, and for good reason. Um but I mean, everything that this guy brings to the table, man, I just, you know, I, I'm trying to acquire him in every dynasty league that I can. I'm drafting him in every league that I can. Um, you know, he was super productive at Kansas State. And I think he's just got that pedigree that, um, you know, he, Seattle's been waiting for a receiver to kind of seize the, the number one role and kind of, you know, I know there's Jimmy Graham there now, but, and I guess we could call him a wide receiver per se, because that, that's what he did in, in, in the big easy, but um, things are going to change. I think in Seattle a little bit this year. I think they're going to open it up a little bit. Seattle is already dangerous on the defensive side. Now that special teams just got that much more dangerous. So, um, and I think one last thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll let you talk is he is probably one of the most polished route runners, maybe behind Amari Cooper in this draft, which again, you know, you got a rookie who, who can run routes. He's polished. I mean, how can they keep this guy off the field is the question. And then, and then they look at the depth chart real quick. Um, who's ahead of him right now? Um, you know, you got Chris Matthews and, and Curse, Jermaine Curse. So, you know, those guys, obviously Doug Baldwin's going to have a role. But I, I think that there's nobody, there's no roadblocks really in that offense 
as far as the depth chart goes for this guy to, to you know, midway through the season be the number two uh, wide receiver opposite uh, Doug Baldwin and have a major role in the offense. So, <laughs> excuse me, that's 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 a number of reasons why I like him. But uh, what do you what's your take on Lockett? Do you think he's going to get a chance this year, or do you think he's going to be more? Lockett's one of my absolute favorites coming out of this this class. Absolute favorites. I had him as high as four at one point. I absolutely love wow. Tyler Lockett. I think he's uncoverable. I truly think he's that good. I think he is absolutely a, a Antonio Brown type, you know, type of player. Um, if you look at his tape, he is literally uncoverable on underneath routes. Anything timing related, anything short, you know, they've never had a wide receiver like this. This guy's 10 times the wide receiver that Percy Harvin was. You know, if you want to compare them athletically and what they do, fine. But if you want to talk about pure wide receiver in terms of catching the ball, in terms of getting open, in terms of creating separation, Tyler Lockett is nasty, man. He is nasty. The only thing that kept this guy out of my top five is the Seattle situation. I was so bummed. I was so happy to see him go after him so aggressively and trade up and go get him. It confirmed what I already knew about this guy, which is this guy is a difference maker. I'll be shocked if this guy isn't their number one wide receiver by the end of the year, let alone their number two. I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked. I mean, Jimmy Graham's going to be their number one wide receiver, you know, realistically. But on the depth chart, this guy's going to be their number one wide receiver. They've never had a guy like this. Russell Wilson's never had a guy like this. My main concern is just it's a short guy to a short guy. That's my main problem is – is when you have a 5'10 wide receiver and a 5'10 quarterback and a bunch of six, seven guys in between, you know, the pocket, I'm, I'm wondering about where the efficiency and what the success is going to be like when Russell Wilson is actually in the pocket. I think when he's outside of the pocket, Russell Wilson's nasty. He's one of the best in the game and I don't see an issue there, but what's going to happen when he has to find throwing lanes, when he has to get it to Tyler Lockett on those short routes, when you have a mountain right in the middle, you know, and I think there are going to be some challenges there. And and that's kind of why I was like, oh, man, you know, I mean, I think there is some limitations here. But you hear the news. This is no shock to me at all. This was going to happen because the dude's freaking awesome. He's awesome. He's a deep threat. He's a bog hawk. He knows how to go up and fight against any corner in the league so he can do it downfield as well. And if you just get this guy running good outs and good underneaths and good cor- curls and good hooks and good all, I mean, he's, he's absolutely uncoverable. He could catch a hundred balls in a, a probably 20 different offenses. That's how good Tyler Lockett is going to be. So all of this just confirms everything that I already saw on tape as well. And I just hope that Seattle can utilize him at his maximum potential. So I don't, I mean, honestly, you're right. He is a sleeper. I don't consider him a sleeper. Um, in fact, my only issue is that I hype these guys so much on BFW that I never get a chance to freaking get them because they end up going <laughs> even before I would grab them. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, yeah, Tyler Lockett's a stud. He's going to be a stud. And he's going to be another atypical wide receiver like T.Y. Hilton, like Antonio Brown, like the other five guys that finished in the top ten in PPR scoring that are under six feet in the NFL, you know, which is another trend that people need to wake up and take notice to, you know, is you don't need a 6'3", 6'4", wide receiver in this league 
to dominate your fantasy football leagues anymore, especially in PPR standing, you know, in PPR formats, which most of our leagues are. So, um, you know, another guy I want to talk about, I'll go right into it, is mm-hmm. John Brown. You know, I already touched on him. I'll keep it short because we're going for a three-hour marathon again here. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I absolutely love John Brown. You guys heard the comments earlier. Another undersized wide receiver in a great situation. The chemistry's brewing. You know, it's one thing to hear coaches talk good about you. It's a whole other thing to hear your quarterback talk good about you, okay? And Carson Palmer can't get enough of John Brown. No, everybody can get, can't get enough of John Brown. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like, uh, Floyd dislocated three fingers. It was originally supposed to be a break. It was looking, uh, they thought he broke his fingers, so it looked like Floyd was going to be out a little longer. It's just a dislocation. We'll see how that situation plays out. I don't think it matters. I think John Brown's going to be the number one wide receiver in Arizona, period, at the end of the season, especially in PPR. Um, and I mean, he was already ahead of Floyd last year. And, uh, you know, I just don't think you can deny that chemistry down there. And if Carson Palmer would have stayed healthy all year, I think John Brown would have caught about 80 passes last year and would have been in conversation for rookie of the year with Odell Beckham. That's how good that guy is. Bruce Arian has a strong, strong history of turning 5'10", you know, real mismatch wide receivers that you can play all over the field and create with which is what John Brown is. He's a creator. He's an offensive coordinator's wet dream, you know, and that's what he's going to be used for. And uh, so, yeah, put him on, you know, I'm stashing him as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five. I fully expect him in my lineup almost every single week come week two or three once I get confirmation that that's how that guy is going to be used. You know, I I couldn't agree more with you in, in that um you know, all, all these guys out there that, you know, well, they're missing these, oh, you know, I'm not drafting a wide receiver if he's not six foot three or, or taller, you know. It's like, you no, know, that's that's such a load of BS, man. Like, time again, T.Y. Hilton's the world, Antonio Brown's the world. I mean, there are exceptions to every role, and, and these, just because, you know, he's only five foot nine or five foot 11 or whatever the hell he is. I mean, yeah. If the Randall guy can Cobb. play, yeah, exactly. Randall Cobb, another great example. Well, Joe Beckham Jr. is 5'11", realistically, right. you know. So, you know, I throw that shit out the window, man. I really do. At the end of the day, I'm looking at talent and I'm looking at the opportunity that, you know, these guys have. And need I say more? I mean, you hit you hit nail on the head with John Brown. And I think this, the best thing I like about John Brown is his nickname, Smokey. <laughs> Smokey John Brown. But I think he's going to be smoking hot this year because this is the guy that, you know, his ADP is definitely, you know, you're definitely going to have to invest, uh, you know. The funny part is, is, like, you have Michael Floyd here and you have John Brown, and, and you know, there's still drafts where, you know, Dynasty starts where Michael Floyd's going before John Brown. I think, you know, that's just insane, you know, if you think about it. I mean, obviously not now with the breaking news, but, uh, you know, like you said, I, you touched on the severity of it. I don't know all the details, but what I do know is that John Brown, you know, I think out of all second-year wide receivers, I think this is the guy that makes the biggest jump um, based off his production as a rookie. And obviously you hit the nail on the head with Carson Palmer. I think that's the whole key to John Brown right now is, is how good can John Brown be? Well, he can be really damn good if he has a full season with Carson Palmer under center. And I don't even care about Michael Floyd. I don't care if he's playing or if he isn't playing. Regardless, I think John Brown is going to put up the numbers. And, and um, this is the type of guy that I think could possibly flirt with you know, top 12, top 10 wide receiver numbers, you know, in PPR league at the end of the, at the end of the year. 
And I think Shans will be there too. So I love your call on John Brown, and he definitely would have been on my list uh, too. But I kind of figured that, you, you know, you, you like Smokey Brown too. So um, <laughs> moving right along because we are going to have a three-hour uh, podcast here without Richard. Go figure. But um, a guy that um, I'm planting my flag on this year, and I, I really love – situation you know in Dallas and, and that's Terrence Williams I just feel like that um you know with Dallas I mean I, I've had this debate with a few people uh in the industry on a few pod, different podcasts but I just feel like the, the offense of Dallas has to they have to change somewhat their game plan I'm not saying they're going to go away from running the football you know 20-25 times a game but what I'm saying is that you know you just lost one of the best running backs in the NFL, and DeMarco Murray. And you're telling me that the Cowboys aren't going to pass the ball more this year? Baloney. I, I don't buy it, man. I see Tony Romo slinging that pigskin, you know, 35, 40 times a game. I see Dallas getting back to that passing offense. Um, obviously, they're, they're going to have, you know, the one of the, quote-unquote, the best, one of the best wide receivers of football in Des Bryant. And, and that should say it all. I mean, you got – Des Bryant on one side, and you got Terrence Williams on the other. I mean, you're telling me that opposing defenses aren't going to scheme to, to take Des Bryant, bracket cover him, you know, double coverage him. I mean, they're going to have to, and I think that that's going to open up everything for Terrence Williams. And if you look at Terrence Williams, I mean, he was that big time. Um, you know, he didn't get a lot of targets last year, but what he does is he makes the most of what targets he gets. And he's kind of like that. Deshaun Jackson like type wide receiver where I think you know if he gets the targets you know he's, the production is going to be there and he's that deep threat type of wide receiver that you know that's what I'm looking for you know I'm looking for the high upside uh, deep threat type of wide receivers who can who are on a good offense passing offense with a good quarterback under center with a good offensive line I think you have all these things up and I think we're going to see a big time year from Terrence Williams this year and like I was saying earlier, I think, uh, you know, having Des Bryant opposite Terrence may be major here in the NFL. I think that that's another big thing, too, is I think he takes that next step forward. And, you know, with increased targets is going to increase his production. And I think, you know, those are proportional when we're speaking about targets, receptions, and touchdowns. Um, I think the number that the arrow's pointing up with uh, Terrence Williams, and I really like him, man. I couldn't, I couldn't be in the drum in the car. And I have all the wide receivers coming up. I have a big halo. There's one guy. Like I said, what do you think the defense is going to stay just the same with the you know, focus on the running game, or you think that actually um, they're going to change it up with? Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you good. I had to get some fuel, man. Um, <laughs> uh, That's what the monster's for here, and uh, yeah, I need to go grab the other camera. Go ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think something. I think someone else has to step up because they're not going to be able to rely on the running game the same way they did with Demarco. And I think uh, it's a good call that Terrence Williams would probably fill that role. The other person who could step up in that absence is, and and is a sneaky. I'm gonna, 
you know, he's not, he's an honorable mention. He's not on my list, but, uh, Jason Witten, you know, in the, uh, you know, in the late 13th round right now, you can snag him. He was still a top 10 guy last year, although it was a watered down top 10. Um, you know, someone, but your thinking is right. I totally agree with your thinking, whether it's Witten, whether it's T. Will, whether it's both of them. Mm-hmm. somebody's going to step up in the absence of DeMarco Murray, and it's going to be one of those guys. It's probably going to be both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you have to assume Witten's going to be there because, you know, Romo and, you know, Witten are besties, you know, and and they've been together a long time. But Terrence Williams been there now a while as well. His role is mm-hmm. very clear, and they're going to have to rely on it a little more. So, yeah, I think that's a good pick. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely expanding his role. I mean, he's worked at the X and the Z and slot. Um, so, I mean, I think that, that that's going to be a major uh, component to his uh, step forward. I think, like I said, I mean, this kid's still young. He's only 25. So, you know, his peak should be here in the next year or two, if not this year. I think he's going to he's gonna be a major contributor for that offense. But I'm just glad that somebody actually finally agreed with me on the Dallas offense because it seems like every show I've gone on, every podcast I've gone on and brought this up, it seems like everybody's in that same mind frame where they're on the other side of the fence and they're saying, oh, Dallas is still going to run the ball 25, 30 times a game. Well, you know, I just don't they're see gonna it. Tr- they're going to try. They're just yeah. – jo- Joseph Randall's not DeMarco Murray. I mean, I'm not trying to bash a Randall because I'm about to talk about another one in a very positive light here in a second. (laughs) But, you know, I'm not here to bash Joseph Randall. He looks like he has a great opportunity. He certainly has the offensive line to be successful. Exactly. Um, You know, but he's not DeMarco Murray. These are two very different running backs, and the talent level is no comparison. There's no comparison. DeMarco Murray is an absolute elite running back in the NFL and coming into the NFL, whereas Joseph Randall, all right, yeah, he's all right. You know, I mean, he's all right. He's a good pass catcher. He's built more like a wide receiver. He runs more like a wide receiver. I mean, DeMarco Murray at least got his pads down and could dish out some punishment. I I think the odds of Joseph Randall holding up over the season is going to be slim to nil. But, you know, yeah, your your thinking is right on, and I agree with you. Someone is going to step up in that role, and they're going to have to pass a little more. So who's going to get it? But Ruben Randall, I touched on him again. I'll keep it pretty short. I want to throw out um, – a couple stats that I think are really awesome. Um, all this guy has done since college is get better every single year. Statistically, developmentally, he is just simply, we don't know where this guy's growth curve is going to end because he's never peaked. He's just simply got better and better and better and better. And so, like, rookie year, 19 receptions. Second year, 41 receptions. Last year, 71 receptions. Targets, 32, 80, 127. Yards, 298, 611. 938 yards last year, and nobody's talking about it. Okay? The guy, the other numbers that are going to stand out, 16, 16, and 16. Okay? Those are the games played the last three years. He didn't miss one game in college. This is a guy who doesn't miss time. He's going to play every single week. He's a freak of nature. Um, so Ruben Randall, he's thriving in this system. I fully expect Cruz to at least be a slow go back until they figure it out. 
And even when he does, Ruben's still going to be their chain mover. He's still going to be their big possession guy. He's a decent red zone threat. That's probably the only thing that scares me about him a little bit is the fact that his touchdown total went down from six to three. That's his only regression. That three seems a little small for a guy of his caliber, you know. So, But, of course, you do have Odell Beckham bursting onto the scene, right? We both agree that it's very unlikely that his pace over 12 games or 10 games is going to continue. However, I fully expect him to match statistically if he does play a full 16. He's got six more games to do it, you know. Um, so uh, Ruben Randall, I just think, is going to be a solid wide receiver, too, for you. that You can get as a wide receiver four right now. It's crazy. He's like the 66th wide receiver being drafted in the league, and the guy was a top 30 wide receiver and is on pace to be a top 25 wide receiver this year. So as far as value goes... You know, yeah, I don't ever fully expect this guy to be a, you know, I don't, you know, a Des Bryant or anything elite, but I expect him to be extremely consistent. I expect him to be a thousand yard wide receiver year in, year out. And so he's his second year in this system. I expect him to thrive. And as long as Victor Cruz, the longer Victor Cruz takes to get back up to speed, it will determine exactly what this guy's upside is this year. But bare minimum, I expect a repeat of last year. And you could do a lot worse than sticking him in the flex. Uh, I couldn't agree more with with the, your take on Randall. And the great thing about Randall, for all you dynasty owners out there, I mean, you know, Dan brought up some good stats, good numbers to back up his argument. But this guy's still only 24 years old. He's heading into his fourth year as a pro. Um, you know, with every year, you know, those those receptions have gone up, the targets have gone up, the receiving yards have gone up. I mean, we're seeing a trend here. And like you said. I'm I'm not even worried about the touchdowns. I mean, yeah, the touchdowns, he only had three last year, but that's a number that I would just be willing to just throw out the window because, like you said, Odell Beckham um, emerging late in the season, you know, last um, last half of the season we saw Odell Beckham just take over. Um, but I think there's going to be more attention um, paid to Odell Beckham and we all know that. And at the same time, I mean, who's going to benefit? Uh, well, Obviously, Ruben Randall is going to benefit, and Victor Cruz, depending on how he comes along. So, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because you chewed it up really good and went through. But I think with this guy being 24 years old, um, and you can get him so late, uh, such a good value um, he represents. So, I think also a good trade target, trade target in dynasty leagues um, if you can get him. So, go out, go out and get him. Send out, a, you know, an offer and see if you can pry him from. Uh, unsuspecting uh, guys, but I like that call. Well, so, there's a really, you know, one other note is there's a decent chance Victor Cruz is never going to be the same again. Exactly. Very, very good chance. This is a rare, this is a tough injury to come back from. It's few and far between. And the success stories from coming back are fairly short-lived. So even the chance that he comes back and doesn't get re-injured mm-hmm. are so slim to nil. And you know, it's a mental thing, it's a physical thing, it's a combination with this injury, and, you know, there's a very good chance Cruz never comes back, and at that point, it really opens up his upside playing opposite Odell Beckham. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, man. Well, I'm going to keep it in the, I'm going I'm to move over to the Windy City, and there's actually a reunion going on here in the Windy City this year, and, boy, we got Jay Cutler and Eddie Royal are having a reunion and uh, offensive coordinator Adam Gase, I mean, 
I, I look at this and I see a, a big time uh, a value in Eddie Royal. I see him, um, you know, yeah, I know he's a little bit older, but you know, if you look at this guy, I think he's one of the most underrated wide receivers even before this year. I mean, he's still, I mean, he's 29 years old. Um, you know, what he brings to this offense is what the Bears have lacked for so long, which is a slot guy. But I think he can be more than that for this offense. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, he was quietly a top 35 receiver in San Diego with Phil Rivers leading the charge. But I think everything I've seen and heard in, in read so far early on early reports are that he's going to play a major role in this offense uh he's going to be leaned on and you know early on with the kevin white injury uh you know they're just being kind of coy right now um his conditioning's not so well and the shin injury and all that stuff well regardless of that eddie roll is going to going to be big time ppr uh target and i think this is a type of guy that you can go out and get and you know, looking at his numbers, I mean, yeah, I remember back in uh, 2008 when he broke in the NFL uh, as a rookie with Denver. I remember snatching him up off waivers, and he pretty much led me to a fantasy championship with his 91 receptions and almost 1,000 yards receiving me. Um, so I think that that's that's the best season he ever had was as a rookie, and now he's reunited with, with Jay Cutler. I, I just feel really positive about everything. Um, I think this guy can potentially have 80, 85 uh, receptions this year and reach 1,000 yards receiving. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight touchdowns is where I think he can be. And I mean, if he hits solos in the first man, talking about top receiver in the for him, and you get him so family, um, it's not even funny, man. It's like, you know, Robin, thank you, getting this guy where he's going to his ADP. So, um, what do you think about Eddie Royal? You think he's, uh, do you, do you like, would you like to have a Royale with cheese or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Royale with cheese? Um, you know, honestly, I haven't thought about Eddie Royal. I want to thank you for saying it because you just got my brain just kind of exploding over that situation. And here are my initial thoughts is, I didn't make the Cutler reunited connection, and that's a strong connection. I mean, you saw it with Brandon Marshall, you know, and and, yeah. and there's no reason at this point not to think that that's not going to be a very similar scenario in terms of that connection. Number two, you do have a Kevin White who's not a pro-style offense player. He's a go-long, go-deep, pure athletic freak. His development is more than likely going to take – a little longer than people want to realize. In fact, there's a chance he's going to be labeled a bust after year one, and that's far from the case. The only reason he probably won't is Cutler's not afraid to chuck it, right? So I like that aspect yeah. of Chicago is he can get away with that in Chicago with Jay Cutler, and as long as he makes a couple plays, he's not going to be labeled a bust. But the reality is, is Kevin White has some developing to do as an actual pure, you know, understanding an NFL offense type of situation. And that's not something you just come in and do in one year. That's a two or three year process typically. So the fact that you do have Eddie Royal there and you do have that connection and you do have Kevin White shrouding that situation as what everybody's deeming the number two guy, you know, behind Alshon Jeffrey. I think that's a dynamite take, dude. I'm gonna go snatch me up some Eddie Royal. Yeah, make sure you get I think you that's some a great get, take. Get you a Royale with cheese. Mm-hmm. Eat Absolutely. like a king. <laughs> they don't know what the hell a quarter pounder is. Exactly. 
Did you have one more receiver, or are we good on yours? I do. Um, this one's a pure gut feeling, and it's maybe just pure um, stubbornness that I can't fully let go of this guy's talent and what he's potentially capable of. Mm-hmm. It could be the fact that I'm a really small guy at 5'8", 160 pounds, and I just like undersized wide receivers. Or it could be the fact that he was the fastest thing I've ever seen on a football field in the last three or four years, and he's never been utilized right in an offense. And he's had shit quarterbacks, and that's Tavon Austin. Very, very deep. Really, really deep. Again, this is a Eddie Royal type situation. I love it, man. I love it. You know, you can grab him in the set, you know, in the, in the 21st, 22nd round if your team even, if your league even goes that deep. But the upside is still there. The talent is still there. This guy definitely had some growing up to do. He had some learning to do. He's been in the same offense for a couple of years now. And there's a new sheriff in town. And, you know, whenever there's that type of situation, and what by that I mean Nick Foles, of course. Mm-hmm. But they've had crap. You want me to rattle off their quarterbacks? I couldn't even do it because I don't even know who they are. You know, it's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> and, Sean Hill, yeah, uh, Austin Davis, yeah, who? Steve, who? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's he's he's never been able to be utilized the way he should be utilized. This is a guy that Bruce Aarons would love to have on his team because he knows how to create mismatches with this guy. My only concern is that Coach Fisher doesn't, you know, or, you know, or their offensive coordinator doesn't. But in the 21st round, who the frick cares? Stash him on your roster again. The upside is there. It's there. And this guy, if he ever is put in space, if he's ever utilized even remotely effectively in that offense, if he's ever given just a split second to turn up field and do what he does, it's going to be nasty. And this is a guy that's going to blow up and people are, oh, my God. You know, he's the guy that he can catch four receptions for 190 yards. That's the kind of explosive power that Tavon Austin has. So he's my he's my deep deep sleeper, and you know, yeah, right. Uh, I mean, I like the call. Uh, you know, this guy was. I mean, he's he's so fast. I mean, he's got jet speed. Uh, nobody questioned that. It was just it seemed like he he could never. He's a type of wide receiver that he needs to get out. And he needs to get space. And if he gets any space, any day, he'll play what. I just keep seeing these wide receivers. It's like Baylor, the wide receiver factory. I've said it before. Our um, Bryles over there. Um, you know, the same thing with West Virginia, man. They just turn out these wide receivers. I mean, and funny thing part is, you know, the other guy that I kind of like on that team, uh, I think it's going to be either Tavon Austin or it's going to be Stedman Bailey. I think one of those right. two guys, we got two West Virginia um, guys right there. And then obviously we just talked about Kevin White. So, you know, the thing about coming out of West Virginia is that they always seem to be a little bit raw. Same thing with Baylor. But, you know, the talent's there. And I think uh, we're going to see one of these guys in, in St. Louis emerge. Um, Austin, like you said, what the heck, man? You get him that late. Uh, why not, man? You're throwing darts at that point. Uh, you're hoping to get lucky. And you're, you're, you have to go after the players that have the upside. And, this is a prime example of a player with high upside. Um, yeah, there's risk, but you know what? In the 21st round, well, who the hell cares? Like you said, man, a good, good point. But uh, um, yep. anyway, 
I think we're going to move on to tight ends. Um, I'm going to throw a name out there real quick um, and a rookie, Clyde Walford, man, this guy from the from the U, University of Miami, and I, you know what's not to like about this guy? I think when it, when the smoke clears and when it's all said and done, and you know, knock me off my rocker, tell me I'm crazy, but I, I think I'd rather have this guy than Max Williams. And I know, I know you're going to argue with me on that one because he's a Minnesota guy, but. I just like this guy, man. I like the big frame. He's 6'4", 251 pounds. I mean, he's got soft, natural hands. I mean, there's what is there not to like about this guy? I mean, so at the end of the day, you know, early reports are he's standing out in camp. He's doing everything he needs to do. He's ready to be in the starting lineup. Uh, the whole Michael Rivera, get him out of here, man. Like, you saw what he, this guy did, you know, with the opportunity he had last year, and then you got a guy that's so much more talented and, and athletic, you know, just an athletic freak. Um, well, this guy is going to be good, and, and I think he's he's going to get the opportunity early. You, you know, we I talked about it before, but tight ends like the quarterback position as far as rookies are concerned. It takes a while for them to develop, but every once in a while there is that tight end that is an exception to the rule. And I think that this guy, dude, he led Miami with 44 receptions um, in 2014, I mean, led Miami in receptions. I know, you know, their offense was a dysfunctional mess. But, again, you know, this is the type of, of guy that I want to take, a, you know. He's he's also um, a poor man, Allen, but, you know, I think he can actually be better than Dwayne Allen when it's all said and done. Um, that's the type of tight end that I'm going to go after, I'm going to look for and get late. I'm going to pair him with, you know, another solid Say I wait on tight end, I get, you know, a Jason Witten late, or say say I draft Antonio Gates really late, and he sits out the first four weeks. This is the prime guy to go after. I think, you know, he's going to get the opportunity, and he's going to surprise a lot of people. So, I'm going to stop babbling about, you know, another rookie that I love. But, um, what's your take, man? You think this Wofford, guy's gonna- Wofford's a monster, man. Um, the important thing with him is the same reason why I like Dwayne Allen over Colby Fleener, and that was because he knew the guy was going to be on the field. He's the best blocking tight end in the draft. He's he's an absolute beast. They're going to have him out there game one. Um, the Rivera stats, he actually had a pretty solid reception total. The issue is, is he didn't catch very many of his passes. Um, serious drop issues, just really, really struggled. Um, I think they're going to have both of them out there quite a bit. I'm going to be interested to see how that plays out and how they work Walford into the, you know, into the, into the offense. I mean, like you said, imagine a Dwayne Allen without Kobe Fleener, right? That can actually stay on the field. You know, that's, that's Dwayne Allen's issue is the guy just can't stay healthy. But imagine you don't have an actual high end receiving back, you know, tight end on the other side, you know, mixed with all these other options. You know, Oakland is an offense you guys want to invest in this year. I mean, seriously, all over the place. Grab it up. Whether it's Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, Lat Murray, um, Hilu, um, Hilu, you know, you know, uh, Wofford. This is an offense that's up and coming and, uh, you know, you want to get it now before it's going to be too spendy in another year. So yeah, it's a good take and I'll jump right into that and, and, uh, yeah, I do have a problem with you saying you like him better than Max Williams. Got a real problem with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Let's you get know, on the no, boxing they, gloves right now. I, no, I like them for different reasons. You know, Clyde Wofford is your, I mean, he's a, he's a running back's wet dream on the field. I mean, he's another offensive lineman on the field who can catch. He's athletic. He's freakish. Max Williams is a much, much better pure catcher and playmaker of the ball from an offensive only standpoint. To me, these two are 1A clearly and then B underneath him. Okay. The difference is, is Max's raw is crazy, man. I mean, this guy wouldn't know how to, you know, wouldn't know half the stuff that Clyde Wofford already knows how to operate as far as a dual purpose tight end, both from a blocking scheme and a pass route running scheme. Max Williams is a go beat this guy, you know, kind of guy. And that's why he's one of my favorites is because what else is Baltimore going to do? They just have questions everywhere right now. Rashad Perriman is your number one wide receiver. Okay, well, I like Perriman. Okay, I like him a lot. Dude's got tons of question marks. Your next best option is a 49-year-old Steve Smith or however old he is now. You know, I mean, the guy's going to give out at some point, and it's not that hard to take him out of the game. He caught some people by surprise, and then he popped a game in there too. But he was very effectively taken out of many, many games last year. And after that, you got nobody. I mean, you got some people that can prove themselves. You got a few options there. Flacco's a more than competent quarterback. Tressman's in town, so he's going to, you know, you're going to see the running back catch a lot of balls. But but to me, Max Williams could become one of their most lethal offensive weapons, and they can do that. They can get away with it. I feel like he's going to be the exception to that tight end first-year rule. You know, this is arguably the hardest position to learn in all of offensive, you know, other than like a quarterback position. It's even harder than wide receiver to pick up and really understand all the nuances of the tight end position. You should never draft a tight end expecting them to put out for the first couple of years. You should just never do it. It's another good strategy. Let someone else do it and pick them up year two because you're going to get them for a second-round pick instead of the first-round pick that they spent on, you know, whoever. And so – you know, but Max Williams to me, and it could be my gopher, you know, my gopher blood for sure. Um, but I just like his style of play. It's very freestyling. He's going to be up against safeties. He's going to be up against, you know, uh, linebackers and he's going to beat them every time. And this is a guy who catches like a wide receiver. He can play the sideline. He can play the slot. He can play all over the field. And his ball skills are absolutely outstanding. And so I see him being utilized offensively more than anything. And, uh, yeah, he could surprise a lot of people. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think we both were on a something with these rookie tight ends. And, and like you said, it's, it's, it's hard to count on them. And I'll just preface it by saying, you know, make sure you have, a, you know, your by five tight end number one locked in before you draft one of these two guys. But yeah, I, I like them both. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, Moving on, there's another guy kind of flying under the radar, the tight end position. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go as far to say he's the heir to the throne in, in Denver and the Mile High City, but um, I think Virgil Green is going to he's going to be that um, tight end that kind of emerges this year. I'm not going to say he's going to make the impression that, that Julius Thomas did, uh, you know, when he broke out a few years ago. But I think he's definitely got the same type of skill set. I think um, he's that big body, big frame tight end that um, Peyton Manning's going to look to. We all know Peyton Manning loves his tight ends. I mean, 
Julius Thomas was obviously, you know, a good example of that. But this is the same type of guy. I mean, if Green is another guy that could be a sneaky value pick late in the draft when nobody else, you know, even wants him. You could probably get him, you know, in the next to last round or the last round of your draft and have a steal, I mean, as your third tight end and just, you know, again, just stash him and wait for him to get the opportunity, see what happens the first few weeks and see who Manny's going to because, you know, I mean, if he's anything like Thomas as far as the touchdown, he gets the red zone looks. I mean, this could be a guy that scores, you know, six to eight touchdowns this year in that offense. So, I mean, that in the draft, why not take a shot on green? Go green. So Owen Daniels is going to be the man this year. Uh, (laughs) I'm so glad you didn't share my sleepers with you ahead of time, man. I'm so glad. Um, So here's an interesting comparison, and not just because of skin color, uh, but because of style of play. All right. But you have a potential Dallas Clark versus Julius Thomas type situation here. Right. And and uh, I'm betting on the guy, the only guy that knows the offense better than Peyton Manning. And that's Owen Daniels. This is a guy who's been in it from day one. He's completely been underrated his whole career. Um came into Baltimore last year and quietly was the best tight end in Baltimore in one year in that offense. I mean, he didn't, you know, his playing time was yeah, just because of Pitta was there and a few things here or there. But um, I'm not owning on Daniels without owning Virgil Green. In fact, I just drafted him in a startup uh, or in our, one of my IDP leagues in, I believe, the fourth round of the rookie draft off waivers. And I took him because I have Owen Daniels and ASJ and I believe Gates we still have. You know, and I wanted to make sure that I had both my boxes checked in Denver because I see the appeal of both. And I don't think um, – Denver obviously likes him a lot. Virgil Green obviously likes him. Um I think there's going to be a passing of the baton at some point in the season. This is the, this is what I'm ultimately worried about is because they brought Owen Daniels in there to not only be the man early on, but to teach Virgil Green to be the man. You know, I mean, who right. better to teach that offense than Owen Daniels, right? From a tight end perspective. Exactly. But coming out of year one, you know, with Peyton Manning in a brand new Kubiak offense with new, you know, new audibles, new terminology, new, it's still going to be Manning's offense, but it's going to be Manning's version of Kubiak's offense. And, you know, Owen Daniels is ready to go week one. You tell me this, I got it, you know? And so I just see Virgil Green's learning curve in that position as being substantially behind Owen Daniels. And so, you know, ultimately, I think at some point that baton is going to be passed. They're not going to hang on to Owen Daniels that much longer unless he proves that he can stay healthy. And at 32 years old, he's had a long history of not being able to stay healthy. So I do, for one reason or the other, Virgil Green probably will have that baton handed to him at some point. I'm hoping he doesn't because I do have Owen Daniels on a few teams. And I think if the guy does stay healthy, he's a lock for a top five season. But, um, again, in the 16th round, sorry, in the You're 16th fine. round, how do you go wrong? 
you know, you already got your tight end one easily by that point. So, you know, but that's interesting that we see that situation most, you know, on each side. Um, that's cool. Well, I did see one guy on your list that I'm actually, because uh, you just showed it to me a second ago. Uh, you wouldn't share your list with me, and I'm glad you didn't, but I did see a guy on that list. I want your take on that guy, C.J. I'm high on this guy. Yeah, I'm high on this guy, and, uh, and Richard's been giving me shit for quite some time. He's like, I'm not doing another Dynasty podcast with you talking about C.J. Fedorowicz. So since he's not on the show tonight, I want your take on C.J. Fedorowicz, and I'm just happy that somebody else has got him on their sleeper list. Sorry. I got him stashed. I got him stashed in a lot of leagues. I love the way the guy plays. He's an absolute beast. True inline tight end. He's going to be on the field all the time. Who else do they have for starters? Let's just start there. I mean, at this point, I'm ready to sell Nuke because the guy's now with Foster going down. I mean, your game plan is quadruple team DeAndre Hopkins and let the chips fall where they may. You know, you got... Very inexperienced quarterbacks. Who better to target than a huge Gronk-like tight end who can split the seam and become a huge mismatch for you? So, I mean, I see a lot of Gronk in him. I see a lot of Travis Kelsey in him. He's the same type of player. Um, With the inexperience at quarterback and the lack of offensive weapons, he's he's a waiver-wire guy that's going to be a top-15 tight end. By default. I mean, he's going to at least be relevant at the very least. He'll be relevant. He's a, you know, bare minimum of 40 or 50 receptions for him. And he's going to be one of their only red zone targets. What else are they going to do? You know, they have to find a mismatch somewhere else. So, I mean, really, he's a guy I liked out of Iowa right away. Um, He was top three on my team last year or uh, on my tight end list last year. And, I just, yeah, I saw I saw Travis Kelsey when I watched him play, and I was, you know, and I see a similar situation, you know, with, so. Yeah, believe it or not, and I brought it up before on the podcast for all your listeners, but, yeah, C.J. Fedorowicz, uh, he actually went to high school in Johnsburg, which is only about uh, not even uh, about six miles west of where I live, and it's just funny because I read something about him in high school. Their quarterback got injured. And he actually played the quarterback position for a couple games that started for them. So, I mean, that just shows you the type of athlete he is. And I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. I've heard the baby Gronk comparisons. I've heard uh, actually the Kelsey one's the first time I've heard that one. And, and I like it. You know, I like everything about it. And then I look at it from this perspective. The same thing you just said. Brian Hoyer, you know, he, he seemed to have that connection with Jordan Cameron. I mean, Jordan Cameron was nicked up and injured and all that stuff. But, I mean, he, he likes his tight end. Um, and I think that's another feather in, in uh, Fedorowicz's cap. I think that this year, I think, is a year that he takes that next step forward and actually emerges into a legitimate um, back end, tight end, you know, maybe two starter. But, you know, in your, your uh, tight end uh, premium leagues, I think he's a guy that you can go out and try and trade and, and, and get, you know, you wouldn't have to give up much to get him right now. But that's the type he's of guy. An absolute, and he's an absolute freak. I mean, 6'7. 265, 270, with that kind of speed, his wingspan is amazing. I mean, he's exactly. basically he's basically a super freak, undersized offensive lineman, you know, that can run a 4-7-40. And, yeah, I mean, it's 
he's he's what's not to like about that running down the middle of your field you know exactly he he just needs the opportunity and he's going to get it he's definitely going to get it but um yeah i'm i'm lower in hopkins stock and right now i mean that i'm scared you know it's tough double teams he's going to get and somebody else has got to emerge so i think that you know, maybe that pushes Jalen Strong a little bit more. Maybe Washington, maybe. Yeah, man, this has been an awesome show. Um, Dan, I really appreciate you coming on the show again with me. I think we did a, a, a great show tonight, man. It's an honor having Came you on. Even under two and a half hours, man. We we're that was a sprint tonight. Yeah, I mean, real quick, if you want to go back, just uh, remind all our listeners about the charity, just real quick, and where they can get that information, where they can uh, hit you yep. up and get a hold of you. I, I'm Obviously, if they aren't following you, uh, they should be following you. Um, at Burgundy, under you. Yeah, I mean, hit me up on Twitter, start a conversation. I'll be happy to talk the charity event with anybody. You can DM me if you want. You can email me if you want. Again, probably the easiest email to remember is just info at dynastyfootballwarehouse.com. Uh, it gets forwarded to all three partners, and uh, I'll be the one who responds, and I'm, you know, on it. And uh, <laughs> um, But, yeah, I mean, really, I hope people take a few seconds to just think about it. I mean, where else? We all talk about giving back, but do we really? You know, how are we actually giving back? And here's an opportunity, right. minimal impact, lots of fun but it's going to have a maximum impact on the end result because it's just going to be a bunch of people doing a little bit, and that's all we're looking for. If you want to do more, then recruit. Get some fun. Play for your own charity. What can you help out? Get 12 players. All I need is 12 email addresses. That's it. Hey, Burgundy, what's up? This is so-and-so from that. We got a, This is who we want to play for, and here's 12 email addresses. I'll take care of the rest. That's it. That's all I need. And, uh, and we'll raise some money for a good cause. Um, and, uh, if you guys want to know, if you just want to help promote it, hit me up. Anything, anything. So. All right, guys. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, Ron. You're welcome, bud. 